0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Terminus, the Dark Thrones goat lord of extreme metal podcasts. Mm. Underrated. Underrated, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. practicing Asatru by using a drinking horn at Vakken.
1: And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Neidhart von Royenthal, Master Minnesanger of Bavaria.
0: <laughs> <laughs> would, he, would he use a drinking horn at Vakken?
1: Uh, if he was past the drinking horn, he would surely imbibe.
0: <laughs> there's a, there's a couple guys in my local scene who use the drinking horn. And I've, I, I, I've always found it so absurd because it's like, they get a beer from the bar and then they have to do the process where they take out oh, the drinking horn, pour God. the beer into it. No,
1: no. <laughs> I mean, I feel like at the right sh- like at the right setting, maybe, you know what I mean? Or like, if you can just pass it to the bar wench and have her pour fill up drinking, your horn, like, yeah. Even yeah, that seems like some bartenders would be down. But like, uh, yeah, that's just like going to the local going to the local metal bar to see, as you say, a band that sounds like death metal and Pantera. <laughs> uh, not not real, not really time to bust out the horn.
0: Oh, but they, that's, that's, that's part of the, uh, that's part of the kit. You know, they, they have to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, greater terminus co-prosperity sphere. We had a weird point of intersection here. Uh, cause, uh, well, do you want to tell the story of this, uh, this first part?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was just on Bandcamp and I saw this, uh, and, and I saw this this Grindcore uh, I guess this is a full, Grindcore full length in a way you know or Grindcore <laughs> EP um, the, the, and the name rang a bell for a couple reasons and like, I felt like TDMG may have mentioned them but also the band uh, has a name that I almost used for a kind of crusty sludgy grindy band many years ago uh, and uh, it was active shooter, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, I pussied out, but these guys, uh, I pussied out because you know, that was just when it was getting hard to get gigs on the punk scene if you had the wrong kind of name, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, but that that name would have been excessively punk for the punk <laughs> scene. um, so uh. But I'm I'm certainly glad these guys have done it, and it's it's the music is pretty cool too. Uh, and I said, "Death metal guy, look, look, it's uh, it's Active Shooter," and he was like, "Take it away."
0: Oh oh oh! oh I'm supposed to just jump in there. Okay. Uh, yeah. No. I was like, yeah. "Oh yeah, Active Shooter." They're 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 uh, friends of friends of mine. I had a. Uh, buddy that moved into the area over there who regularly plays shows with active shooter uh you know i see his posts on facebook a lot so i was like oh this is cool and i've never actually listened to them but uh uh, i'm interested to hear it based on your recommendation that it's good shit so uh i think we're just going to listen to like the first three tracks off this ep right well
1: yeah, what I want you to do is tell me what kind of grindcore this is. I think, as far as I can tell, this is grindcore made by people who listen to a lot of metal. And not just, like, the death metal you would expect death grind people to listen to. Okay. But, uh, yeah.
0: So we're going to listen to uh, a sequence of three tracks. Don't worry, it's only about two minutes. Uh, it's uh, an intro into Urban Decay and Anedonia. So uh, let's check these guys out. Why
1: doesn't all grind sound like that? <laughs>
0: well, I mean, uh, well, the secret is a lot of it does, you know? Mm. I mean, you were you were asking before we got started, um, you know, who does it sound like? And, uh, well, we're going to have to go to the same city as Active Shooter to one of mm. secretly the most important grind bands in the U.S. in terms of their influence. Have you ever listened to uh, PLF?
1: Puppy Liberation Front?
0: Well no, originally it was it stood for Pretty Little Flower, and then <laughs> they say it stands for Pulverizing Lethal Force, but ultimately it's PLF is whatever it means at any given yeah, time. Yeah, you know?
2: like MDC. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. So yeah, PLF is a, a grind band from Houston. They've been around since ninety nine. And uh, I've heard a few of their records and it's really good. Um, I know what you mean by, like, it's it, it's it's interesting because it almost reads to me as though metal guys making a crustier style of grindcore than they typically would when the opposite is what you see more often, you know?
1: Yeah, that's what interested me. It's like, I mean, because this sounds, I mean, in some sense this sounds a lot like revenge, but, like, it's like people make. it's like, yeah, there's I was thinking it's like a gr- grind guys who really really understand revenge making grind, but maybe it could be the other way around because this to me this to me seems the opposite of, you know, there are all these fake war metal bands by like crusty dudes, right? Mm-hmm. And it all just sounds like it's all this sort of meticulous attempt to imitate surface details of revenge that just make it sound kind of like grindcore but doesn't really grind any more than it did in the first place and it's just sucks yeah. right whereas this is like people who are using grind core format but incorporating that kind of like you know this kind of like noisy guitar carry king dive bomb shit um it sounds like they could listen to shit like uh i've been obsessed with aries kingdom lately but also just like angel corpse and stuff like that like yeah really i can see that angry angry yeah angry martial american thrash
0: yeah, no, I mean, I don't really know that much about PLF personally. I mean, I think they are one of those bands that's like the most metal side of their hardcore scene. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But clearly these guys are like right down the middle as far as what they listen to. And then if you like that, um, I'm sure you've heard them before, but I would recommend going back to Phobia. Uh, that would be a good one.
1: Oh, yeah, um, I'll have to. I don't know them well. See, this is the thing is that this sounds like... This sounds crusty, right? Like, that intro track sounded very mm. crusty, right? That could have been, like, Amoebix or something. But, um, but it doesn't sound like most of the crust grind that I know, which is highly rooted in, like, chunky D-beat stuff and Napalm Death and whatever. Right? Oh,
0: I would definitely recommend Phobia is worth going back to, then. Uh, Phobia, good guys, uh, very good live shows, fun 15-minute full lengths, you know? Very good <laughs> band overall. Sounds good. Um, all right, so with that journey south, let's go even further south. Uh, so I've made an effort on the show as of late to uh, try to bring up, like, the South American and Mexican metal scenes a lot more. Um, last week on the show, we covered the wonderful debut record by uh, Tiradero de Cadaveris, Uh which I realize you translated, that means corpse dump. Holy fuck, dude. <laughs>
1: yeah, and
0: I was trying to think, like, yeah, no, that shit is too real, right? Yeah, that's that's nasty. I like that. <laughs> um, there's
1: a um, interestingly, there's right. So that's clearly just about the place where the cartels go to throw the bodies. But like um, it picks up. There's some resonance there with um, you know, like Anglo-Saxon or something. You could you could say the corpse mound or the corpse mm-hmm. hill. Yeah. Right? There's there's an amoebic's lyric like, Upon the corpse hill of the slain. Right? <laughs> and so there's this, you know, like so much of the cartel shit, there's just this this ancient stuff resurfacing in these unexpected ways.
0: Definitely. Um, so, uh... I- YouTube happened to recommend me through the algorithm and probably by listening to my phone and through the chip implanted in my head uh, the Mexico Black Metal Fest, which was a live stream festival featuring all uh, Mexican black metal bands. And then, you know, some other stuff sneaks in there some stuff that's a little more death metal or a little proggier, but it's centering around black metal. And uh, I watched a few bands off it, and I really have a love of exploring local scenes you know because these are all small bands there's not any huge headliners or anything it's everybody getting together and recording to be able to pull off this live stream all right so uh before we go on to our rundown real quick social media follow us death metal guy on facebook at terminus podcast or the black metal guy on instagram at terminus extreme metal but you all already know that but if you really want to support us you got to give us the 16 digits of your credit card the expiration date month and year and the three digits on the back for the security code and you can do that at either patreon or subscribe star Three dollars and up gets you access to all of the Terminus Prime bonus episodes. The newest of which we're going to be uploading right around now when you're oh, hearing I know, I know,
1: I know, I <laughs> know.
0: Yeah. yeah, we should. i a little that. behind should, on that. Yeah, we should make it worth it for people to to yes. buy it to to buy our feelings. And uh, five dollars and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime. Uh, or, not the Terminus Prime, but the Terminus Black Circle. Sorry, you know, I've done this so many times, I get jumbled now. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. But you get invited to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where we discuss the finer points of abstract German black metal, and I take fun polls to see what you guys would like to hear more of on the show. So, <laughs> well, I did that for the first time today, you know, just to...
1: Oh, you, you took know, a poll? Make- That's nice.
0: Uh, kind of, you know, informally, it's just like, hey, you know, what have you guys, what have you guys really liked off our show that, you know, you didn't introduce us to or you didn't know already, that kind of thing, you know, get a, nice. It's a, I think, doing I mean, some market also, research.
1: Also, the new bonus is responsive to fan requests for deep dives on scenes.
0: Yes, we are. I I mean, if you want to really commit to that parasocial relationship, giving us money is the best way to do that. I will pretend to be your friend plenty if you do that.
1: I'll I'll (laughs) pretend to be your girlfriend.
0: (laughs) That's that's fair. I'll do that too. I don't give a shit. We're gonna start (laughs) up the OnlyFans soon. Um, All right. So uh, what what do we uh, what do we got today? I think we're uh, we're not. Oh, we're doing the we're doing the full mix up today. I believe. Yes. Alright, All right. but you're so, starting us off. What do we got?
1: Uh, starting off with some highly sword-oriented black metal from Hunter Nose. Uh,
0: Full hashtag Sword Boy Summer.
1: Sword Boy Summer. Um, this is Off... Uh, this is Off Louve de Loire. Sorry, I took a sec to recalibrate from Sword Boy Summer. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, on Antic Records. Uh, Hunter Nose is a band of the guy... Who you may know from Vehemence, and Antic is the label that he runs that puts out related stuff in this French chivalric cluster.
0: All right, and then oh wait, uh, and follow- I've also got the next one. Right? Oh wait, it is split in half. So I forgot we 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 messed around with the format this time. So.
1: Uh we just went for the brutal split. Yeah, so um, so this next one is uh something in Cyrillic, uh, and if you put that in. Latin, it's, you can pronounce it as something like aza solchem luna, which translates to and beyond the sun, the moon. And the title of the record is On a Broom to the Stars. And it's a Russian band, and it's out on Hexen Cave Productions, which is an excellent um, sort of Slovak label that does a lot of, you know, Eastern European stuff. Um, and we've covered some stuff before from them. Uh, And yeah, so that's this, and what is, and this is a Slavic take on nocturnal symphonic black metal.
0: All right. All right, so my half, uh, mine was kind of abrupt. I had a couple records that I planned on featuring, and release dates for both of them got pushed at the last minute, which uh, meant I needed to scramble a little bit, so I just found some interesting stuff that might be relevant to our listeners. So first up, I have the uh, second full-length by... Uh, A little bit unsure of the pronunciation, but the record is called Inert and Unerring. This was released on Loud Rage Music, which is a Romanian label uh, that specializes in a lot of different kinds of rock and metal, but seems to be mostly focused on Romanian regional scene stuff. This is a uh, a post-black record that I found interesting, and I figured we could kind of follow the line from a record like uh, the Searcher line that you brought on the other day Mm -hmm. and to start exploring, okay, what makes post-black metal tick or not, depending on the record. And then wrapping things up, uh, another last-minute pick, I figured we would revisit the legendary Clandestine Blaze with Secrets of Laceration. Uh, I believe this is Clandestine's 11th full-length record, which is fucking crazy to think, you know, because we started listening to this music when he only had, like, two or three under his belt. That's probably Uh, true, yeah. Yeah, and, of course, this is released on Northern Heritage, Miko Aspa's label, as has every previous Clandestine Blaze record, so uh, this is going to be kind of a deep-cut thing for the serious label listeners.
1: Home label. inf Home label of the infamous Migla. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey, remember, Miko was the guy to give uh, McGlaw their, their first big push. You know, we always forget about that. And I Oh, think no, that, I know.
1: Uh, I, know, I, know. A-
0: I think that might become surprisingly relevant on this new clandestine mm-hmm. blaze, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll get around to that.
1: What's that I hear rolling down from the mountains? Could it be a spring torrent of autism hailing the <laughs> to Sword Boy Summer? <laughs> hashtag Swordboy Summer.
0: <laughs> That's gonna be our new thing—is just like slipping in the hashtag all the time. Until and as adopt it descends
1: it. from the mountains, you know the uh, the torrent turns into the majestic Loire River, which is the centerpiece of this record by Hunter Nose, for, uh, uh, out now on Antic. So, Hunter Nose—you probably don't pronounce the H too much. Hunter Nose is a. Uh, this band has been around for a while. Um, they they started out with a full length and then did intermittent shorter releases and this is only the second full length uh, this is a long-running sort of two-parted collaboration you know very I think a very even-handed collaboration kind of like that band Saganland um, mm-hmm. between ever Moore who runs antique and Sparta who's in a couple bands that uh, I don't know and I should try to mention what those are at some point but um uh but even more, as his main, his the band he's best known for is Véhémence, which is just uh, really outstanding French chivalric black metal. I remember I told you you'd like them, and you finally oh, yeah. checked them out. H-
0: huge, huge recommendation for me. Yeah, a hundred percent.
1: Yes, and you can hear some of that here, but it's a very different take. Um, and he's also got this really weird kind of band that's basically not like folk black metal, but more like black and like black metal informed kind of psychedelic medieval folk it's called called Grilla G R Y L L E um uh, with uh, that has like illumin- crazy illuminated manuscript monsters all over the art and shit that's awesome cool. <laughs> yeah um strongly recommend looking up this guy's metal archives p- picture back in the day he had like the sort of like prince valiant haircut and like He just completely goes for it. Um, Like, total commitment to the medieval aesthetic. So, um, yeah, should talk briefly about the the scene. So on this show, we talk about how many French black metal scenes there really are, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of the chivalric black metal scene, you can trace the roots back to things like, in terms of sonic stuff, you can find... Precedent and Nihiralorn and Senor Voland and things like that. Uh, You know, Bekira, Osculum, those kinds of bands. But those are all a little more sort of, you know, raw, sinister, you know, kind of stuff. This is, um, as it exists today, uh, it's more, it's usually more, has more sort of polished production, musicianship, uh, intense musicianship. Um... And Antic is one of the main linchpins of this scene. So there, there are other other bands in that constellation on this label. It's based in Angers. Uh, I don't really know how to pronounce that, but um, and it's it's in the region called Pays de la Loire. So it's the you know the country or the the, the fields of, of the Loire River, and it's between uh, Brittany, which we call Brittany, Anglo's, and uh, Anjou. So it's Brittany is this coastal region. Uh, where a sort of, uh, basically a heavily Celtic variant of French is spoken, basically mm-hmm. a different language, yeah, right, um, Breton, uh, and you know the, it's on the Atlant, it, it's on the coast of the Atlantic and the English. Well, that's Channel, why they and describe
0: them as like the Bretons, you know, as a distinct from the Franks back in the day.
1: Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, remnant remnant Gauls maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Anjou, more central France. And so I I stress this because like the French chivalric scene has this very regional quality to it and often exists in kind of like regional or peripheral France. Like it's not coming from Paris, right, in Mm -hmm. large part. Uh, And in part, I think that's because these places were like more distinct political entities in the Middle Ages, right? Like, you know, uh, Brittany was a more distinct region right uh mm-hmm. and the uh the other big location for this scene is Occitania, these regions of southern france that used to speak again a different language called Languedoc. uh and that's the country where the tr- a lot of things we associate with the french middle ages like the troubadours or, you know the warrior poets were from um and that's the the big band that i always talk about from there is our lock who really kind of started this sound uh, and dark and Hold, who I don't like as much, but they, they, they belong on the list. Um, and uh, people who like Pragi or stuff might like them. Um, and uh, actually, the guy spellbound, the vocalist from Arlac, is guesting on this record. So these these scenes are all kind of connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as distinguishing um, what where this band is at, uh, right? Véhémence is this classically chivalric stuff, right? It's got uh, the chord... It's very different musically from the quote-unquote French black metal sound or, like, the Seineur Valland f- formula. It's got these... It's based on leads, and it's got these sort of, like, flowery, cascading leads and arpeggios. And, you know, it's literally about knights, right? <laughs> um, or, as, as you might say, kind of like, like uh, you know, it's, it's basically just, like, by knights, Right. You yeah. Know, the yeah. character <laughs> in Veamos is the in the the Vemoz character is a knight, and he's telling you about uh, doing knightly deeds. Um, you know, <laughs> they they have like a great uh, a great one called like the last cavalry charge. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, so, in contrast to that, Entornoes is much more uh, earthy, and Veamos is high intensity, but Entornoes is like brutal. Uh, Vahemos is very centered in sort of a heavy metal-inflected black metal. Hunter knows is kind of like, sort of, much more rough, simple forms. Kind of like brutal folk black. Very stompy at times. Um, and they call it pagan black metal, which we can try to explain later, maybe. But uh, and you can hear these links to things like Windir and Crota but there's a thematic link too. And maybe I'll get into that later because I've d- done enough talking now. But Death Metal Guy, what did you <laughs> think of this?
0: Uh, this is a fun record. This is interesting. Um, So obviously we talk about this as <clears throat> being descended in part from the sort of chivalric French black metal scene. But I would say what this really strikes me as is a perfect midpoint between the chivalric scene and the more like ruralist peasant French black metal as typified by something like Pest Noir. Um, yeah, and that's I, I think that a lot of people who listen to this are going to hear a lot of Pest Noir on it. I think they're mostly incorrect, but I get where they're coming from. But uh, not really as a point of argument, but maybe something that I would address a little bit more specifically. I think there's a ton of heavy metal. On this record, um, yeah, 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 and because you said it, it's it's less heavy metal than Vejhamons, which is like true, but in a different way. the The heavy metal oh, go it ahead.
1: might be equal, it might be equally heavy metal. To be fair, I guess I was trying to say mostly that Vejhamons is much more black metal, black metal, and much more sort of it has the elaborate qualities of heavy metal, yeah. right? The sort of yeah. technical, technical showmanship, flamboyance, lots of things happening.
0: Yeah, this has um, this is heavy metal, but in a different way. Where I get a lot more of the sort of primitive heavy metal meets street punk stuff, like say yeah, the, yeah. the first couple Iron Maiden records, um, Manowar, at kind of yeah. the scuzziest, yes. There's some mm-hmm. of that in here, but I guess overall, I would say that to <clears throat> to make people understand this record, I would call this a folk metal record first, before a black metal record. And, you know, the idea of folk metal unadorned has become uh, this weird niche that it it shouldn't be. You know, when people hear folk metal, you know, without any sort of adjunct to it, they're imagining stuff like FinTroll and Corpaclani or Alluviaity, whatever, any of these fucking festival bands from the late 2000s. But there's a whole legacy of... Stuff that is informed by extreme metal, but is ultimately just centered around folk instrumentation from the late 90s into maybe the mid 2000s. The most obvious example being like Skyclad or something like that, which I feel this is. Yeah, I feel like a
1: guy from Skyclad guests on this, I think. I think he plays. Oh, really? Sure. I'm pretty sure. Let me double check that.
0: Oh, I didn't even realize that. Keep going. Yeah. Well, now, um, so a, a band like Skyclad, I feel like ultimately this is probably closer musically to Skyclad than, say, any second wave black metal. So when we discuss this as a black folk record, don't get the idea that this is, you know, blast beats with folk melodies. This is extremely different. Yeah. Oh,
1: certainly, yeah, you would really want to distinguish it from sort of folkish black metal as defined by Arion from Hidden's Heart, right? This is like yeah. Saganland has these melodies that have folk roots, kind of, or, or Osgrau or these bands will just have folk shapes in the melodies, but it's musically it's guitar-driven, riff-driven black metal. Odal, really good example. Of the old Odell, right? And we heard yeah. some actual folk metal on the new Odal last week, right? You were kind of mm-hmm. making that case.
0: Um, yeah, and I would uh, say that this but, is like... Uh, yeah, there's not uh, there's not Dark Throne riffs in this or mayhem riffs. Oh no, no, for sure. This is very bespoke. And what I was going to say is, in terms of what we cover on the show, that this is closest to, that apparently resonated with you, is uh, Panikita. Uh, oh, for who sure. Did a, yes. A wonderful record last year. Uh, absolutely outstanding record that we covered on the show. And I would read this as the French Panikita in many ways.
1: Yeah, well, I think Panikita, the songs are structurally more heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Like th- they sort of have more kind of a verse chorus vibe, more built around kind of uh, often kind of these rollicking, amped up power metal kind of riffs, right? Uh, mm mm-hmm. They're, which you, you get touches of that here, but um, they, they kind of move at these, there are big flourishes for clean vocals in a different way from here, where you've got kind of choruses following riffs. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree, they're very, very similar. I think particularly a lot of the riffing on here is very similar to when Panakita plays their black metal riffs, which are mm-hmm. very strong. Those are very close to how uh, Antoinette does it. Lots of just like, big, like fortified power chords built around fourths and stuff that sound much Mm -hmm. more medieval. Shit like that.
0: Yeah, well, uh, we've we've spent about 12 minutes talking about this album in the meta section. We should probably get some samples, shouldn't we?
1: (laughs) Alright. So, um... I suppose let's uh, address this so uh, yeah exactly what kind of everyone will be wanting to know like oh my god what kind of folk music Uh, what does it sound like Um, so here is a sample that foregrounds that I think your first sample kind of does too Uh, this is from uh, this is a very long record which is awesome it's like a very ambitious it's over an hour Um, and this is from I think the second track hang on I'm, I'm trying to pull this up uh third track uh, yeah, it's the second like substantial track. Uh this is uh circle fleuve a and we're gonna start out about just under three minutes in.
0: Just like power metal, you, that's I, you just like power metal.
1: I like it when it is used correctly. Um, <laughs> it's, I feel again, like we're, we're gonna
0: have a, a, we're gonna have a repeat of the same discussion over Panakita where I talk about how this is mostly like a heavy and power metal record at heart, you know?
1: Well, sure. I mean, that's obviously a heavy power metal style riff. I think what's interesting about it is that in a lot of power metal and in a lot of classic folk metal. You'd get a version of it that is uh, much more based on like trope, quote unquote, Celtic sounds, or like Celtic mm-hmm. means Iron Maiden. Um, so you might just get a version that's like, <iper emoji> right? And what what sets this apart in part is like the uh, really rapid turn on the end, um, that makes the guitars are working like. You're pulling the guitars out of the territory of stock pedal point thrash stuff, and you're like and you're making them move a lot faster, kind of whiplash on the end, in a way that like sounds like bagpipes. It, like trills. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when the riff repeats, you know, the second time, it doesn't drop a whole step like it did before. There's actually it, it, it goes up, there's a chord change up, and there's a lovely embellishment on the melody at the end. There's what this guy really has is what I love about this record is that so many of the riffs are very quote unquote simple Mm -hmm. they're simple, they're distinctive and they sound like in many ways like I mean yeah, this in many ways does sound close to things we've heard in other bands but like this guy, the guitarist has a voice and he really has an ear for like combining the good parts of this like power metal heavy metal stuff with actual folk music Hmm. Um. Well, I I, think, I can say more about that, but you should say say something first.
0: Oh well. Now I, I was just gonna say I I think that you hit on what makes this special is the adornment. You know the the sort of embellishments everywhere, which is something we've come back to again and again. Which is you know you can use these very traditional sort of heavy metal arrangements, but you have to spruce them up somehow. You have to you know even if it's something relatively minor you have to constantly be developing these ideas in interesting ways and i think that's one of the places these guys really succeed is uh, you know a, a lot of at least from riff to riff you know chord structure wise this relies on the same sort of intervals you've heard before in traditional heavy metal folk metal power yeah, metal sure. etc but it's the embellishments it's the the sort of lush Uh, interpretation of them that makes them special and makes them more compelling, which I think is something that's underappreciated by a lot of people. You know, because, you know, on the show we talk about the idea of stock melodies. Well, stock melodies are fine if you're making them your own. And Hanternos is a band who makes it their own all the time.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the, the additional thing, like, you could be like a You could be like a pretty damn good, say, power metal band or a pretty damn good black metal band using power metal riffs and Mm -hmm. play. uh, You could take those metal riffs and throw in little adornments in various ways and make them your own, right? But the cool Mm -hmm. thing, the specifically cool thing that I think makes this a great band is the way that he's like. Because those things rely on these troped, flattened down ideas of inherited ideas of folk music, right? Filtered through maiden, filtered through all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's he can access the source of it. And so he's in a sense he's embellishing stock melodies, but he's also just actually working with the raw material that those stock melodies were built from in the first place. So like yeah. uh, So the cool thing about this guy, right, is uh, I think Evarmore. These guys
0: remember it's a duo. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it is a duo, and I assume that the other guy has a big hand of the songwriting. However, what I know is more's work, and I know like
0: oh, okay, I gotcha.
1: You know, I mean, yes, I I seriously like yeah. The other guy has a band called Creatures and a band called Catedes, Uh That or yeah, that and, and I, I don't know either of these. Um, so. So who I can talk about is the guy who's in Veilmos. But anyway, I think this is probably true for both of them. Is like there seems to be some study of medieval music here. Um, mm-hmm. If you listen to other bands around the antiqu- well, you can just hear in the melodies here, like the da da da, da 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 da. You can hear that that melody, the big trem riff with the chorus over it in the middle. That's like French folk song melody. That's not normal metal. Like Veilmos uses it too. Um, mm-hmm. There's some study of like folk music and medieval music, and but like it's also because there's like they're able to draw on the closest thing to living medieval music in Western Europe, probably, which is Breton folk, right? Mm-hmm. And because they're this this Celtic people, the music is like pretty similar to stuff in the British Isles, to you know, stuff the, the Irish and Scottish stuff.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. To, I mean, like, nowadays. Nowadays, people create this very strict differentiation between, you know, stuff from the UK and French stuff. But historically, there's been much more interchange than a lot of people recognize now.
1: Yeah, and relevant regions don't necessarily correspond to today's national boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's... um. So, you know, the Breton, Breton folk musicians use bagpipes, and, like, they swap reels and song ideas with Irish and Scottish folk musicians all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, like, play at Celtic festivals. Um, and so there's this... Uh, but, you know, it is its distinct version of that, and, you know, probably... And, and, and it's being brought into dialogue with stuff that sounds more classically French or more classically sort of uh, medieval troubadour sounding, right? Um, and so he's got this regionally specific language, this rich living tradition to draw from, and he can move sort of seamlessly from this kind of Celtic stuff, which has this, you know, you know pentatonic Dorian feel, has this, bar, you know, noble barbarian feel into this other kind of more nightly or folk song vibe. It's um it's it's really it all sounds epic as fuck. It all accesses this kind of the glory of bright primary color melody, but there's so mm-hmm. much richness to it. It's like stained glass or something.
0: I got you. Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I think that one of the things that stands out to me about this record in particular is that it is sort of, it's sort of folky and it's sort of heavy metal in a traditional sense, but it's sort of like deliberately not epic in a way. Like all of this is sort of peasant music in a cool way. Obviously there's, there's, you know, moments of grandeur and there's moments of, you know, an expansive scope, but it doesn't feel like it's attempting to be epic, attempting to be vast in the way that something like Vahamonces is.
1: Yeah, there we've talked we talked on the last show in Odal about how there are different senses of the word. So, I uh, maybe I'm mm-hmm. using it in the full Maybe I'm using it in the vulgar sense of people use epic to mean oh, those sorts of uh, noble sounding uh, a, a type sort of, of melody. Simple, simple, resolute, noble sounding scales with sort of strong resolutions and uh you know, you know, the Iron Maiden scale, right? Sounds fucking yeah, epic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, it does. <laughs> and, and so a lot of this, even though this is often built on this is built on more like the the various folk and medieval antecedents for that, he's consistently accessing that sort of gut punching, bang your head effect that you would get from like uh, power metal or whatever guilty pleasure folk metal band you want to name.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a perfect way to lead me into my next sample where you're going to get some of all those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going off the following track. We, all of our samples are taken off a block of four tracks in the middle of the record. So I, I assume that's kind of what we're agreeing. The, the heart of this lies in the middle. Um, uh, this is a song called, uh, d'ro, de Languedy. Yeah, oh, that um, sounds good. Yeah, yeah fair, fair French pronunciation, maybe. Um, and here we're going to hear a uh, kind of a rapid exchange of ideas, and it's three ideas. There's a, a sort of burly, heavy metal riff, very sort of Manowar style. There's a big, uh, what you refer to, and I now say all the time, is the peasant hop folk metal part. You know and yes. uh, then there's a an interpretation of the the peasant hot part with a blast beat that makes it more black metal and it seems to me as though it, it's almost sort of a, a meta song where it's like it's the band trying to explain to the listener how all of these ideas are linked hmm. by hmm. you know swapping between them rapidly. So this is you know this about a two minute sample you're just gonna hear three parts, but you're gonna hear, all Sorts of different juxtapositions about you know the ways they interrelate. Um, so let's uh let's oh, check it out. Wait, I also want to know what
1: you can, think. Can I say one thing before it's oh, uh, God. this is um, as far as guesting, this is oh, so it's it's not Sky Clad, it's Sky Forger, but they have a bagpiper, oh, Sky Forger, yeah, yeah, they've got a bagpipes, flute, and percussion guest spot from a guy named Jeffrey, Jeffrey Delaria. Uh, who's also in, like, Skyforger, Les Batards
0: du Nord, these kind of more, like, actual folk metal bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Skyforger is awesome. You should check them right. out, so. <laughs> All right, All so, right. uh, Lantadro de Languedic. I mean, I I, I love all those. I love just the 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 simple Mana War version of the original riff that da 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 da. da you know, that's yeah. You had to point... Is, once you pointed it out
1: to me, I heard it immediately, right? Oh,
0: it's a. I mean, that's an immortal heavy metal riff. You know, yeah. That riff has been done hundreds, if not thousands, of times, and it's fine. That belongs to all of us. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, so. Obviously, that's part of an extended passage. You know, we're about a minute in when we start it, so we missed like one sequence of the heavy metal riff into the folk hop, into the uh, the blast beat. But then it kind of repeats at the beginning of the uh, the the section that I provided. So it feels to me like it's there's something almost explanatory about it. You know, it keeps darting between these different parts. It is describing, in a sense, the interrelation of mm-hmm. these things, uh, which is, you know, something we've talked about, which is, you know, black metal is heavy metal, is folk music, is all these other things. Um, and I think that these guys, in this band in particular, are maybe more consciously aware of that connection than a lot of guys are, who, and don't let me you know, don't let that lead you to believe I'm saying that, oh, if you don't know it, that means the music's not as good. No, that doesn't matter. But I think these guys are a little bit more consciously aware of the relationship between all these parts as they make this music, you know?
1: I hear what you mean. And they're also good at playing all of them.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's never any clunky transitions. This is very elegant, very professional music.
1: But yes, you could you could, to people who are sticklers about particular styles, you could isolate one of these riffs and they'd like it and they wouldn't like the other ones. Hmm. You think so? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm trying to help reinforce your point. The idea being that like, the blast beat articulation of the folk riff, there will be people who see themselves as sort of into cult, or, you know, raw or pagan or melodic black metal even, right, who will really like the blast part, but if you just played them like the the heavy metal sounding part or the peasant hop part, they might not be so into it, right?
0: Even though they're and all it's, even the same melody. It's the same yeah.
1: <laughs> even though- yeah, but this is, you know, this is where we're getting back to superficial scene shit, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, yeah. it's just, it, it's very interesting because I, I don't think I've heard, outside of maybe Panakita, I don't think I've heard any band combine those things as sort of organically and elegantly as i hear on this record
1: yeah for sure it's definitely it's definitely the underlying melodic forms that are stitching the styles together mm-hmm. and you know the other thing i thought about this which relates to your impression um i th- I, th- I like your idea that this is this kind of uh narrative about the music it's also in a certain way this is a very musician song it's like a uh, hmm, yeah. There's a musician-y quality to certain folk music, right? You know, you have like Celtic music. There are these trope patterns, right, that are called reels, and then people sort of riff on them and sort of trade ideas around, and you work an idea through whatever sequence.
0: It's this. It's the same as like jazz standards.
1: You know? kind of, yeah, maybe maybe a little more locked in than jazz, but yeah, different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like a jazz standard, but you're you're sort of but, but like a reel is really sh- it's like a sh- fairly definite phrase. Um, oh, okay. Like I mean, like a longer you know, it's like it's not just like a single little riff, but it's a, it's a fairly definite phrase that you can develop in various ways, and you might be trading the lead from instrument to instrument to instrument, mm-hmm. and this is kind of like trading the lead between different instruments, except you're kind of shifting stylistic registers.
0: Yeah, um, I, I can see that.
1: And and they're just kind of and you know what it else, it's that kind of peasant hop tempo that's dominates the song as you're saying they're kind of just they take this couple basically one or two melodic stems and they're just working them out. That's what I mean. Oh, yeah. It's like jam it's jammy. This song just wants to like jam on this sick riff and each each time it comes in they're gonna try to make it as sick as possible and the vocalist will attack in a certain way. But it's just it's kind of just it's got this very kind of walking pace um, mm-hmm. takes its time does that make sense?
0: no I get that yeah, yeah it's yeah, yeah. It, this is definitely like chilled out exploratory music
1: yeah it's really not trying to yes it's not really trying to get it it's not trying to sell you anything it's just on yeah. a pilgrimage uh to go see a saint's elbow <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like that. Yeah, gotta go down to the, uh, go down to the reliquary. Visit the elbow.
1: You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I hear if you, I hear if you rub the elbow, it gives you, it gives you rock hard erections for the next forty years.
0: <laughs> oh, that's um, a, that's an elbow I need to visit. Then shit. <laughs> 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 All right. What do you got next? It's uh,
1: got uh, V A Nas Creve. Um, this is like, in terms of like what is or isn't epic, while well, some people use the term to refer to really long songs, I think it's fair to call this one the epic also, because it hits a certain elevate, sorry, it's a certain re- elevate, yes, I very much agree with you. As you described it before the show, the, the album is kind of like peasants kind of grumbling about knights, but also kind of like looking up to them. It's... Yeah. Which I thought was just a really lovely way of putting
0: it. And well, I, I like the way people. you described it as like man at arms blackmail. Like when you're playing yeah. when you're playing Age of Empires 2 and they do an early raid, yeah. and you gotta send your peasants in to become militia, and they're like, "Fuck, man, I don't know how to fight. I'm gonna do my best, though." You
1: know? <laughs> Ex- exactly. That so captures a lot of these lyrics are based on regional folk tales, and that so captures the spirit of folk tales. Yeah, absolutely. definitely, absolutely. Um. So, uh, but this song has maybe a little bit more of a, a nightly vibe, and it's very long. Um. Uh, so I think this is maybe the epic proper. There are so many parts of this song you could sample a bunch of them, but like, you know what I like to do? I'm gonna like we get our distinctive folk samples up front, but if it's a black metal record, I wanna I'm gonna sample the part where it's like, are there some sick fucking black metal riffs on there? And uh, here we go. how about that wobbly wobbly at the end
0: yeah I was I was interested in your thoughts on that because that is a very modern almost like proggy power metal move there
1: yeah I mean that's a move that like if the band weren't as good maybe I wouldn't like but like mm-hmm. I I mean I'd say they sell it
0: um, oh yeah, no, I like yeah, it. I was just yeah. curious about your thoughts on it.
1: Oh, just like general thoughts. Yeah. So my thought is like, well, it's like I guess my first, it's a weird synth to use in this context, especially just coming off the, uh off a
0: truly storming
1: passage like that, right?
0: But yeah, it's a very it, very sci-fi kind of patch to use.
1: It's yes, it's yes. It sounds like a our ear, tr- our ear tracks it as sci-fi, or as maybe sort of like, I don't know, like dated 90's metal but I think that here it's first of all like the intervals are great it's got really cool arpeggios Um, but also like the way I'm hearing it is like it's well let's take the principle you established from Entertro, right it's like Mm -hmm. showing sort of passing passing melodies between styles and between instruments yeah here it's on the synth and here the synth is like just another archaic folk instrument it's like um one thing i want to draw attention to on this record sparta the you know the the other dude um, plays hurdy gurdy which is an awesome instrument which is like on mm-hmm. you know crank bagpipe naturally distorted medieval drone music it's sick and yeah. here they're kind of and you know the you you turn it and you 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 play it and and key it and here the synth has this kind of turning, revolving sound in each of those woobles.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So it's it's a little. I mean, bit, it, it doesn't sound like a hurdy gurdy, but it's a little bit. It's got this kind of, if you, delink it from the sci-fi, it's got this kind of like, organic burbling quality, and you can hear it as just, oh, somebody could crank this on a hurdy gurdy. Somebody could saw it on a violin.
0: Well, it could also be. Uh, I mean, the thing that I would link it to would be something like. Uh, Vindir's journey to the end, where there's yeah, that yeah. weird, almost like Euro EDM passage, but it still kind of works with the folk metal from before. It you know, it's not they're not reading those sounds in the same way that we are.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. And after all, you know, Varg listened to techno and um, the uh, who, who's that? Um, Halyaruna, right? They did yeah, that massive yeah. cover of Journey to the End, where they take the techno part and make it the main part of the song.
0: Yeah, and they and they turn into like a, a weird part, a, you know? kind of dubstep part, you know,
1: a banger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, I loved the riff before the riffs before that. I mean, I think anyone who listens to the show knows that those fulfill my criteria for, uh, you know, sort of uh, severe, noble but severe ripping black metal riffs. Um, yeah, those are close in style to the way he plays in vehemence in terms of this lead driven stuff. The counterpoint on the first one, if that's exactly what it is, but the the, the two you know, the the, the the parallel, or not parallel, the, the independently moving melodic lines on that first riff are so sick. They're like moving they're not exactly going in opposite directions, but they're going basically in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. Creates a really kind of grinding, grim quality to it. Um, this is just the whole attack there is way more brutal than Vamons.
0: Um, oh yeah, definitely. This is this is designed around rougher edges than Vamons yeah. is.
1: Yes. <laughs> and just before the show we were talking about Soren. That second mm-hmm. riff has this kind of Sorin pulse to it. Um I gotcha. it doesn't have the doesn't have the bizarre skronky quality, right? Um, <laughs> but but yeah, no, so just... He knows how to do just a really crushing black metal part, but then this bizarre synthesizer folk follow-up is pretty fucking cool.
0: <laughs> Definitely. All right, so uh, let's get to my final sample. Uh, this is off the... Sorry, we've been going one after the other in this sequence of tracks in the middle, so we're, I'm going now to uh, Leroy rene fait Affet-Mander. Uh, so... Obviously, it's a French black metal record. I have to include the one giant Señor Valand riff, <laughs> but uh, uh, I knew it. Yeah, yeah, you called that I was gonna pick this part before I did. Yeah. But then there's interesting stuff afterwards. So you've got a very, very like punky, like again, first two albums of Iron Maiden thing that goes on mm-hmm. after which, and then there's a, a sequence of a couple riffs interchanging over a very strange, cascading rhythmic figure. Uh, and it lasts about a minute or more where they are working out melodies around this very asymmetrical kind of rhythmic figure, which is not the kind of thing that you typically hear in, say, folk music, but it is the kind of thing you hear in heavy metal. So this is what makes this unique and sort of wedded to metal as a style as a whole. Um, And I just found it really interesting and compelling. So, uh... Let's, uh, let's try it out. So you were saying, while that was playing, that, that uh, the uh, the uh, sort of heavy metal riff there, or the, the chord backing behind it, is uh, that's literally bro-him by Pennywise, isn't it? Very, very close.
1: Yeah, the death metal guy always compares things that shouldn't be compared to Pennywise to Pennywise, and it, it, it irks me. It's like a running theme of the show. <laughs> It does sound like Pennywise here. You're uh, I give this one to you. Um, and I, honestly, they take I think on this song, right? They take that melody and turn it into here. It has this yeah, I like what you described the sort of asymmetrical kind of chunky rhythmic picking. Mm-hmm. It's really cool and very metal. But I'm pretty sure that for the latter part of this song, they just rock it out with like thrashing trem. Yeah, a more kind of like like street black metal way. And there it just really does sound like bro Brohim. I mean, it's not exactly yeah. the same, but it's
0: pretty damn close.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah,
0: yeah. Pennywise accessing primordial European folk music, you know, as as does a lot of as does a lot of punk accidentally, but uh, yeah. So I I find that you know, that interchange between those two riffs, which are variations on each other at the end really mm-hmm. interesting, over this, you know, like I said, uh, very asymmetrical rhythmic figure. Um mm-hmm. you know, just sort of like vamping with the vocals across it. Um it, it feels like originally they were just supposed to do that interchange once, but when they played it together they were like, Oh that's fucking sick, let's do it again you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, obviously the opening Giant Senior Voland riff is priceless. So, you know, nothing to say about that.
1: Yeah, I love that, like, when he's like, okay, okay, you want your French Black Metal riff? Here it is. There we go. Yeah. And, when, and and it's like, it's really good. This is a little one, Gash, and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back from, uh, Doing our French peasant dances to welcome the May, uh, with this uh, much more uh, nocturnal, forbidding uh, Russian peasant folkloric music, courtesy of uh, Aza Aza Sulnchem Luna uh, and Beyond the Sun, the Moon, uh, which is, uh, and the record is called On a Broom to the Stars. Interestingly, on Google Translate, I initially tried to translate that from Slovenian. For some reason, I think I initially thought, "Oh, is this a Slovak band or something?" Mm-hmm. And uh, it translated as "And behind the sun, the moon," which is a Ooh. pretty cool name. Yeah, that's um, that's cool. I, yeah, it's kind of the same vibe anyway. But if you think of Beyond in that way, it gets pretty cool. Um, so this is a. Uh, I don't know a lot about this band um it seems like it's had previous incarnations under different names that are not on metal archives or are difficult to find um but this incarnation is pretty recent um and it comes yeah it's out on hexen cave which is this slovak label that i have just great respect for hexen cave we covered uh they put out the um Koltov and Zivi we reviewed last year. Um, as far as stuff that's well known that's associated with them, they're the uh, home label for Crowlock and Malokarpaton. And uh, I mean, Malokarpaton now puts out stuff on bigger labels too. But uh, and if you're you know if you're a certain kind of niche person, you probably also like oh. Triumph Genus
0: right? or uh, maybe Joran, who uh, I'm kind of familiar with.
1: Wait, wait, how are you spelling that one?
0: S Z R O N. Zron.
1: Oh, was that on this label?
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Oh, shit. No, Zron is awesome. Yeah, Death Camp Earth. I had no idea.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, they just did a, a couple little releases on this one. They did like a.
1: Oh, I'm looking like at the Bandcamp. You're looking at the Metal Archives, right? Yeah, Zron. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Zron, uh, the Migla before there was Migla, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or there's there's definitely got to be some relationship between those bands. But anyway, so point being Hexen Cave, a label that you may not have heard of, but has had an outsize effect and is really strong quality control. Um, and the label has this kind of a uh, very uh, kind of a, a pagan vibe, but very nighttime pagan. Very sort mm-hmm. of uh, witchery, werewolves. Uh, there's a great band on there called Temnahor, that, not Temnazor, that has like just Blue moonlight breaking through trees. It's really, uh, you know, there's Krolak has some, a lot of like gorgeous blue light on their records. So kind of eerie moonlit vibe, and uh, and beyond the sun, the moon really fits in with that. Uh, so they're from Tula, which is just south of Moscow, um, and as far as things it sounds like, yeah, well it's. Distinctly Eastern European, but it's really sort of dark. Kind of evil. Dark, very nighttime symphonic black metal. As far as anything, so it's not really like, you know, uh, Nocturnal Mortem or something. It's more like the newer stuff by Arcona, which I occasionally talk about. And as far as classic reference points, um, certainly uh, Early Cradle of Filth Dusk and Her Embrace, which is a big Death Metal guy favorite hecate mm-hmm. um Emperor pre Nightside, so like, uh, you know, the Emperor EP, Hortensland Land, stuff like that, when they started to get the keyboards, but before it was Prague. prague yeah. In <laughs> um, And, uh, yeah, you had a couple other name drops for this.
0: Yeah, well, in terms of kind of, because uh, obviously, well, I, I was surprised you, you skipped over referring to this as Gothic, which it very much is.
1: Um, yeah general atmosphere gothic yes
0: generally gothic and uh yeah so i i just happen to know uh, a couple name check groups in this style um i would say for instance uh, an example would be old uh, theatres des vampires uh Mm -hmm. from france uh who were sort of an early cradle of filth clone and then i think don't mm. quote me on this, but I think they branched into more like gothic EDM stuff later on after their time as a metal band, but mm. I would have to double check. And uh from Russia itself would be Black Countess, who was uh it's a it's a project that is like kind of a joke to some people just because of the sort of like lyrics and the thematics of it which are (laughs) extremely pornographic this guy just loves like gothic lesbian vampires and stories about them Uh, (laughs) which i mean at the same time it's like i mean i listen to brutal death all day is that sillier than anything i listen to i don't know but uh black countess uh the old records actually are very good sort of extreme gothic metal in the traditional cradle vibe um uh, beyond that, yeah, there's like, obviously the thing everyone's going to hear immediately is Cradle of Filth and Hecate and Throne. But I think that what makes this so distinct is that um, it's, uh, you know, just how much Slavic black metal is in here. You know, it, the core of this really is almost like primordial Slav Black. We're, we're talking about like late 90s or uh, very, very early 2000s, um, sort of augmented with that gothic Cradle of Filth feel. And it results in a record that is, you know, you're familiar with all the constituent parts, but it's uh, it comes out very different, I would say.
1: Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to show me some of the Slavic-sounding riffs because I think it they probably are draw sound like bands that I don't know would be my guess.
0: Yeah, um, don't worry, I've I've got something at the end for you. So
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So um, yeah, because this is gonna sound very different from your Gravelands or Druids or Astrophase or even your Crotas, right? Um. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah. Um, you know yeah for me just this uh you know and also yeah i think but the thing that it does have that a lot of these slop bands does it does sound a little bit folky but not at all in the you know is it black metal is it folk metal quality of the hunter knows. like more just like in the sense that all norwegian second wave sounded kind of folky or like something like yeah. emperor already sounds a little folky because there's this Shades of regional character. There's Norwegian classical music and stuff, right? And if you so just like I would take the Emperor and just put it one click higher on the folkometer, you get that <laughs> right? the like, get So
0: here,
1: <laughs> yeah. And so one thing that early Emperor is really good at is fucking ripping one-two kind of punk or thrash beats with double bass. And this band is very good at sounding very fast. um Here is an impressive song called Shadow Ritual of the She-Wolf from the beginning to about two and a half minutes in. Is clearly the sign of a new subgenre called Doggo Core.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they love uh, they love their big blocks of kind of like wolf samples or like witches cackling and stuff. It's it's very charming because I, the sam-
1: I don't know if I yeah.
0: I don't know if I've mentioned on the show that I, I I've got a really big soft spot for sort of like witchy black metal. You know, not like uh, kind
1: of know you do, yeah.
0: Yeah, not like modern occult, but just very kind of like witchcraft, you know, you know, Salem, you know, 1800s type stuff. I, yeah, I, I
1: feel that. like there's a bit more of that stuff out now. Some of it some of it is bad, some of it's like old, disposable shit like Old Nick, but I think it's mm-hmm. um I, I think it's yeah, Old Nick is
0: fun. Old Nick is fun.
1: <laughs> whatever. Um uh I think it's it certainly sounds unique. Um but uh but I, I feel like a lot of the uh you know, yeah, there's various kinds of witch aesthetic coming back, which mm-hmm. I think is good. Yeah. It's um it has that folkloric quality to it. It's a little more it's 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 fun without being jokey, it can allow you yeah. to be. Right. Um and so this th- yeah, so this definitely has that. Oh, the th- cool thing about the nature samples, they they use them. Sp- First of all, that I mean, really, that was like the first ever puppy sample I've heard in a black metal song. Like that sounded like a wolf pup.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's he's oh. learning how to howl.
1: Yes, yes, it's wonderful. So, um but the the cool thing is the samples are pretty important to the song structurally. Um they're not thrown in random what that randomly. What they allow is this kind of um I think these songs are basically through composed like a section might have a few repetitions within a a quick section but they'll never go back to the beginning of the song at the end or repeat the first part of the song they'll never do like a b c a b c um yeah and so there what you heard is we we just had this sort of uh ripping stuff with a, with a continually developing keyboard melody over it. That, that almost reminded me a little bit of that Sargeist riff you were playing with the Mexican band, in that it just kept spiraling up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this sort of free flow. There were, like, two key parts, and then one, this, like, glorious free-floating one. And then, you know, we get our wolf sample, and then the wolf sample keeps going, so that when they come strutting back in... That was kind of like a Kvist strut. When, they, when it comes back in... <laughs> You get the wolves howling kind of in key, and they keep the sample.
0: Yeah, I always like it when a band incorporates the sample into the music rather than just using it as an interrupter.
1: I think it's very important. And here what the interrupter quality does is it allows them to accomplish a sort of... There's nothing really discontinuous about the part of the song that comes after, but it allows them to make a turn in the song. Yeah. Pretty rapid. And some of these songs will have two sample breaks and these turns in them, but it never really—it never sounds like they're cheating. It's never like, oh, we don't know how these parts go together. Okay, let's throw a sample in there.
0: Yeah, no, I—I've I, always disliked people saying it's like, oh, you know, we're just gonna. Like I, I saw some guys over at a uh, Hessian firm talking about it. It's like you know people bitching about the idea of the, the stop and the solo guitar bringing a new riff in. It's just a cool technique. I mean, we don't we don't need to yeah. fight about that technique. It's just great, you know? Yeah,
1: sometimes you can do that. Right? I mean, also, like, yeah, you love samples. You're the mortician guy.
0: Absolutely. People don't realize that, uh, you know, mortician, you have to listen to it with the samples in. You're losing part of the music when you take them out, you know?
1: That's what I say. Don't skip the pupper part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> true pupper core black metal yes. hey <laughs> <All right. laughs> so what do you got well what have you got because I, I've got stuff from the back half oh oh I excuse me I thought that everything was off the back half of the record but uh oh, oh no it is yeah you've okay. got the next sample actually
1: yeah yeah I feel I, yeah so we, we kind of just I yeah I pulled my samples before you so um Alright, so this is... Um, there are a bunch of... there's some really good riffs on this record. Like, I mean, that keyboard stuff was pretty impressive on this. But like, but, like, I should point out, on the back end of the Moon Hunter, if you're one of those people who wants to hear just, like... Oh, well, actually, uh, Shadow Ritual of the She-Wolf actually had some has some incredible riffing on the back end. Just guitar riffing. Also, yeah. back end of the Moon Hunter, awesome. Guitar, keyboard, interlock, super cool build. Um... This band really, like, sort of grandiose ascending melodies that just build and build. Um, But I guess I'm actually moving backwards. uh, Or no, no, I am... I am moving forward. (laughs)
0: Ignore the Cyrillic. Just just look at the Romanized titles.
1: (laughs) Sorry, okay. Yeah, no, I'm on on A Broom to the Stars now, which is a little later in the track list. So this is the title track. Um, I wouldn't say it's, like, the... I don't think it's really meant to be the stand, the centerpiece track on the record. Interestingly, but um, it doesn't really have the big riffs. But this is just the beginning. is so cool. It's one of my favorite parts. And anytime I listen to this record again, I'll like be waiting for it. So uh, (laughs) let's go. All right. The band trip.
0: <laughs> well, it's uh Well, it's uh, Are you talking about when they go into the uh, the bass only part?
1: Just now, yeah. Well, you get this racing punk beat, as you said, it's very cradle of filth, right? Uh,
0: that's a, a. That's a very specific cradle of filth technique where they will break out with a a sort of like extended fill into a passage where the guitars drop out and it's just mm-hmm. bass and synths. That is perhaps the most direct idea taken from cradle i mean there's um, like m- you, mood you ideas. know and, and
1: the, base there is ki- the base there's kind the base there's kind of bouncy right in a way that's very different from emperor base which at that time was just power cords um yeah it's like uh that makes sense as cradle because that's like gbh or discharge base
0: or venom oh yeah yeah, and it's also, uh, you know, when you're talking about, like, the through-composed idea, you know, the way that Cradle makes songs is um, they loop, but in a very elongated fashion. You know, a lot of the time, the the first riff is the final riff, but in an augmented form. Um, sort of like uh, the the opening riff on a Cradle of Filth song is like the... The flashback prologue at the beginning of the movie, and they spend their whole mm-hmm. time getting mm-hmm. back there. Here, here it's more straight through composed, but you can hear the idea sort of operating in the way they structure songs.
1: Yeah, so stylistically, very Cradle of Filth. That makes sense to me. But you hear that like sort of stagger. They, you know, the punk beat rips off, and then it's on, and you've got this. It's already highly rhythmic, right? The bass is kind of playing against the drums. Just fantastic musicianship throughout. And one sign of that is just they do this coordinated stumble. It goes through like, dum-dum-dum, dum They, they uh, th- There's this hitch in the melody. Uh, the, the drum part breaks. Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like the band falls down. And then they just get <laughs> up and keep rolling. Um, and it really sounds like so much of this record is you're either... You know, uh, running through the woods at night Or flying through the woods at night Or being chased through the woods at night And this is definitely a being chased through the woods at night part Where you like trip over a root
0: Yeah, yeah, I was about um, to say tripping over a root Very evil yep. dead, you know
1: Yes, Um. keep on trucking um, But the beginning <laughs> of this uh, You know, uh, yeah, the beginning Also just so good at playing fast Constantly throughout this The drummer is dropping in flam stuff and just cool double bass fills um, And it just Rips into that slowdown Vom, dum, bum dum, vom, dum, So you go into the slowdown Like not only do you Like half time it or something You kind of change time signature into the breakdown um, Yeah you've got that it, Like
0: extended fill passage That's like 3-4 or something And then lurching you yeah. back Into 4-4 four, four outside yeah, of it Yeah
1: it's so heavy I mean, really good musicianship. And you can hear them just sort of stretching. The bass just stretches the time into the new signature at the beginning. Um, Really heavy. uh, It reminded me of the breakdowns on pre-Nightside Emperor, which, honestly, I feel like I might want to... I keep talking about that so much, and I bet a lot of our listeners haven't heard it. I kind of feel like I want to sample it. But you also had a maybe more apropos reference for that.
0: Possibly, I mean, obviously Emperor is going to be a big deal for anyone doing kind of symphonic black metal stuff. Um, But even talking about symphonic black metal is kind of a weird thing because that is a style that's mostly been abandoned by Western Europe and America. Um, But symphonic black metal really continued in a big way in South America Uh, That's still like a a really big style down there, as well as in, you know, Russia, Ukraine and certain parts of Eastern Europe, which I I find really interesting, you know, this sort of abandoned style in a way that kept going for a lot of people outside of the immediate metal sphere. so uh let me go to one of my samples uh i think actually the back half of this record is the stronger one uh i just think that they everything gets put together a little bit more on the back half i I think that uh the songs are a little bit more organically structured on the back end one thing i would point out is we're mostly sampling beginnings of tracks i would say that maybe one of the issues for this band is how to end songs you know, you've disagree. got a lot... Really? Backends are really strong. I just
1: tended to sample the beginnings. I was almost hoping you'd get some backends.
0: Oh, well, you know, I would say personally, I, I feel like a lot of the times they're kind of, you know, uh, resorting to the fade out, you know, in some cases. Uh, I feel like they've got wonderful ideas of how riffs interact, but at least for me Coming up with a solid ending, you know, a really impactful, punchy ending is something oh, these guys are struggling like the Then you're just being
1: like the Metal Then you're just being like the the Hessian Firm guys. You know, some, some bands can do fade outs. Why not? Like as hey, long as the is on the end of the song. Are I was going like, to specifically I feel say like this band does.
0: I was going to specifically say that uh, I'm not one of those guys that just hates the fade out as a technique as a whole, but. In this case, I feel like they could, you know, work up the ends of tracks a little bit more. All
2: right. <laughs> all right. <Let's
0: laughs> just like example. that, that, that quiet. All right. Just kind of in the background. It's like there's, there's an anger there that I appreciate. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, no. All right. No. So,
1: just a, just a disappointment.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. All right. So. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Wreath of Sorrow. Um, This is probably uh, one of my favorite parts of the record. Um, So this is a track that begins with a sort of elongated instrumental intro. Um, And I really love the way that it develops throughout it. Uh, It feels much more organic than a lot of the tracks. I think this is them firing on all cylinders, but I decided let's sample a little bit of the back end of the intro the middle nature sample as is tradition and then into the meat of the song um there is into just a, the meat
1: uh, of the song
0: <laughs> exactly so uh you're gonna hear a lot of folky kind of intervals on the main riff after the sample drops and just I don't know. There's something about this track which strikes me apart from the others that I think is like, Mm. oh, this is the track to pattern off as as this band continues. So uh, let's give it a shot. You know what really makes that to me uh, after the sample is that ripping sort of, I mean, I guess it's almost like a stench core drum beat. That sort of extended thrash beat, that dun 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 you know, little trill on the kick drums adds a little more activity in the rhythm section, it's, and uh, just it's a D I like beat. it a lot. Well, it's it's not a true D beat because you know a, a D beat, as far as I understand, is like dun 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 dun. And then no, here the swashbrite. No, no, no.
1: Clustering. A db is duped up, duped up, and so this Oh, is, is it? Is like a,
0: yeah. So this is no. What you're thinking of
1: is the bands that cheat on dbs. Dup, dup, dup. You know, duped up, but up pooped up, but up pooped up. That's a, a cheating db. Um, this is so. This is like a metal drummer who's really crisp and precise and is using double bass. Sometimes a classic db will be uh, bass, bass drum. Or sorry, single kick bass. Um, so this is a metal drummer who's using double bass to fill in very precise, extremely fast beats
0: Yeah, uh, well, it's interesting because I've heard that specific beat used once again, like constantly on early Cradle stuff. Oh, and to add a little bit of color to talking about Cradle, um, you mentioned Dusk and Her Embrace. I think it's actually a little earlier. I think these guys are really into v empire or vampire depending on who you talk to dark fairy tales (laughs) and Palestine. um that one that was the ep (laughs) it's sort of like a a full-length ep between Mm -hmm. principles of evil made flesh and dusk and her embrace i think that's something they're really centered on here because i was just listening to that the other day actually um because it's it's not quite dedicated to just those like high flying pop black metal riffs that came to define cradle of filth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's hinting at that, but it's also just more aggressive, darker. And, uh, a little bit more traditionally black metal in a lot of ways. You would hmm. love that so much. Yeah, I'm You gonna would have to fucking fall in love. See,
1: see when I was a, when I was a kid and saw this cover, I was like, oh God, so corny. And I'm like, haha, fucking sick.
0: Um, yeah. V Empire. So. And actually the album after Dusk and Her Embrace, uh, Cruelty and the Beast, you would probably like both of those more than uh, Dusk. I think.
1: Interesting. Well, yeah, uh, definitely some high quality goth chick covers. And, um, <laughs> also, like, I, I do like *Dusk* and to embrace for sure, but you know, I just jumped to it because that's that's the one that I hear that I hear you mention, and you're the real you're the real cradle expert, so this is good to know.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of my favorites, no doubt. But uh, I would say, for your taste, if you want the cradle yeah. style but more black metal, uh, I would say that either of those mm-hmm. two on on either side of *Dusk* would be probably more to your taste,
1: dude. Dude, song, either side of dusk, possibly by Cradle of Filth.
0: <laughs> that could be a Cradle of Filth song, definitely. But uh, all right. So uh, anyway, I like that passage a lot. That's just one of my favorites in terms of just sort of like the way the riffs are oriented and a very, very natural feeling. Um, not to say that the rest of this record is inorganic, but I think that was a, a very good example of the band at their best uh, as far as I read them. But now we're going to get that, to... That moment, I think that
1: sample has a big hook at a moment where the album uh, needs it. I like that this band withholds sort of more uh, conventionally. You you know, you said in the notes, folky. Yeah, folky, epic, more just sort of like simple, simple sort of uh, tension-releasing Dorian scale stuff. I like that this band... It all kind of moves around that, and there are certain riffs like that. But they sort sort of withhold... They often withhold, like, I am the Black Wizards moments. And this is not
0: a band that thrives of it. They're not interested in a single big riff as the hook of yeah. the song, which is no, respectable. I like that.
1: For sure. And, and so there is no, like... Uh, there are not the sort of usually, like, sweet moments or... Uh, Concert- I, I think there is. I think there's a big hook on the end of uh, the Moon Hunter, which I strongly encourage people check out. But like, it's it's more of a, a it's more of a blasting moment. But just in terms of like a more more uh, fun or poppy or just just sort of yeah, something like that. This I think this track that the this sample you had like provides a good moment of that the album because I am thinking like huh, it's pretty cool that they haven't done something like that yet, but also it might be nice to hear one, and it hit right then.
0: Yeah, no, I I thought that landed really well. That's one of the few traditionally big moments on this record, and again, uh, I'm a guy that constantly talks about big moments, samples them, but we've got plenty of bands that revolve around that. It's cool to see an underground band choose the longer, more difficult road the songwriting Mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna get to my last sample uh this off forest of witches summons um where i want to get a little bit more into the slavic thing uh because i think that the core of this music is slavic black metal it's just a a type of slavic black metal that we haven't really talked about a whole lot because uh I would actually, in the way you hard disagreed with me on the endings of songs here, I would hard disagree on the lack of Nocturnal Mortem influence, because I think uh, I think Nocturnal Mortem is important to this band, um, specifically goat Horns and the earlier demos, um, up to, maybe, and including uh, To the Gates of Blasphemous Fire, before they got really... Bizarre and focused on folk ideas. Um, but okay, there's. Okay, you got me,
1: bro. I don't know anything about Nocturnal Mortem. <laughs> <laughs> I have a vague idea of how they sounded, and I probably associate them more with their, yes, very kind of Thor's Hammery phase.
0: Oh, no, yeah. You should listen to Goat Horns, man. You'd probably I, really love that record. I
1: think I keep trying it and not liking it, but I'll try it again soon.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's definitely like an acquired taste in a way. It, it it's a weird case where they are more underground, but it's it's better if you go directly from like Cradle of Filth to Nocturnal Mortem. You know, it's like that's an easier path. But if you listen to like um, Goat Horns or like Lunar Poetry, that would be up your alley. Anything after that, that's questionable. But you know, take it as it comes. Uh, All right. But uh, I want to sample uh, Forest of Witches summons because I think this is one of the moments where it's the most Slavic in this style of Nocturnal Mortem or maybe for something a little more deep cut like Kataksu. Um, mm. So we'll check that out and then we'll get to something that I also think is a huge influence here, uh, which we've actually sampled on the show before, but I can never get enough of them. But first, let's listen to Forest of Witches summons. All right.
1: that's definitely a cool part. Um, and I, I definitely hear how those melodies sound a lot more Slavic.
0: And it's also hilariously witchy. I love the witch cackling. And that's (laughs) like, that's, uh, that's just such a fucking cool thing. You know, I, I wish more black metal bands had just, you know, cool fucking witch cackles in the middle of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, but one thing I want to bring up is, uh, all right. So this is very similar to me to, uh, obviously one of my favorite Eastern European black metal bands fall time that I brought up on the show a couple times, which is Dubbuck.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
0: So Dubbuck is, uh, sort of like second string in terms of popularity in, uh, you know, weird Eastern European black metal circles, but, uh, they went through a lot of different kind of phases over the course of their career. And their very early stuff, uh, is what I want to sample here. Uh, this is going to be off their Misiak Palmsti compilation, which is like their first two demos. It's basically considered a full length by a lot of people. And, uh, I want to check out a track called in search of the soul. And, uh, I want you to think about this last sample and maybe the rest of the material on this album, and think about the way the keys interact with the guitars on this, and even the the, the keyboard tones themselves. And uh, you know, tell me if this makes sense to you as a uh, possibly a big feature of this band. So I've played a little bit of Dubbuck on the show before, but mostly some of their like mid-era or later era, like uh, mm-hmm. more kind of thrashy stuff. What do you think about this in contrast to this record?
1: I I, I like this pretty well. Um, it's interesting. Um, you can certainly hear the meshing of more folk things. Uh, Da book that really never that kind of never settles into one idea which in some ways is strong but I feel like it also is a little bit diffuse the dubbuck
0: yeah like um, yeah I get that
1: it keeps yeah however I think that relates to a thing that this band maybe does better than dubbuck at this stage which is the best symphonic black metal is really good at navigating between different harmonic colors right yeah um, And I feel like in the particular sample you had, this band does that a lot. Not only does it throw us out of kind of eerie gothic symphonic black metal minor key into more uh, broad-sounding pagan harmonies, but it kind of changes shifting around chords and maybe keys pretty rapidly. Does that make sense?
0: Oh no, Dubbuck was like technically hyper accomplished compared to a lot of their contemporaries, which is not yeah. in and of itself, you know, a reason to listen to them, but they used it in a really compelling way, I feel.
1: Yeah, well I feel I mean, I feel like the Yeah, so I mean, I think there's there's definitely a similar idea in the Beyond the Moon, the Sun sample there. I I think I think Beyond the Moon, the Sun pulls it off better. Um but it's also they've had you know, a long time for those ideas to germinate, right, relative to Dubbuck doing it Mm -hmm. Um, and I I get the idea, it's you're taking you know what the similar idea is it's that relatively simple kind of uh, broad harmonically simple pagan folky melodies are being moved around a lot to create complexity and different harmonic shadings does that make mm-hmm. sense? And a kind of like almost yeah. shifts in roots that shifts in roots that sort of uh, are unexpected and make it feel more chromatic and things like that. And so I think Dubbuck is doing that, and that's for sure the technique being used here.
0: Yeah, no, I think uh, I I bet these guys have a much more deep cut understanding of Slavic black metal than might appear at first listen on this because what everyone's gonna hear at the beginning of this is. Oh, you know, Cradle of Filth, where we're reaching back to Hecate Enthroned, etc. But there's a lot more going on. What makes this so exciting is... I mean, shit, we could listen to a lot of local-style black metal bands in the U.S. that are kind of copying Cradle, but these guys are doing it with more panache, you know, more understanding of the purpose of those melodies. And I think ultimately that's what sets them apart and what makes them so exciting to listen to now.
1: Satan is ever ready to seduce us with sensual delights. <laughs>
0: So after some uh, weirdo forgotten Chicago black metal in uh, Valholm, let's get to uh, you know following up on our thread, uh, I guess in a way that we started with a searcher line, um, which is what makes good or bad post-black metal? Um, so this is a record by Genunya You know i'm not sure this is a romanian band it's a romanian word so i'm not sure about the pronunciation but the record is called inert and unerring uh this just came out like a week and a half ago and uh i decided to bring this on well one because i was in a pinch because everything else got pushed back and also Uh, You know, I I thought this was a good thread to follow. I mean, we've talked about post-black, usually negatively on the show, but I think it's important that we keep abreast of the scene to some degree and figure out, well, I mean, there's good post-black and there's bad post-black, so what's the difference between the two? How do we ascertain exactly what makes this style tick? And I thought that these guys did a few things a little bit differently from a lot of the post black bands mostly structurally that I thought was important you know we're we're researching post black theory right now <laughs> so um so uh, Janunia are a a band who seem focused on the idea of having using black metal technique to enhance a base of what I called like, you know, upper class rock music, kind of art rock, kind of, uh, you know, say something like the Pixies or Smashing Pumpkins, you know, not art rock, but clearly, you know, this like higher brow style of rock music. And I personally think that may be the way forward for the style, which is to kind of divorce post black from black metal itself. Um, there's some very good black metal riffs and moments on this record, but clearly the focus disagree, right? is, It <laughs> really? Yeah. I think, I, I think I sample, you know, some I think there's, there's, solid.
1: There's one, but it's very, it's arguably black metal.
0: Um, uh, fair enough. Well, I mean, there you go. So what are your, what are your feelings about this? <laughs> oh, Apart from I I... My, I know you don't like it.
1: But. Yeah, I usually I try so I try to be you know we, we always find the positive and the stuff we cover. I mean, I just really don't like this. Um, I, you know, it's there are certainly things that are worth talking about here, um, but it is. Uh, and it certainly is very much shifted towards rock music. Um, I think this band should just stop, I, you know, they should stop the screaming and the <laughs> riffs and uh, focus more on the really rockish stuff at the end and just play kind of emotional rock music. I mean, like, it's, uh, you know, do the, do the catat- you know, just do the catatonia thing, right? Oh,
0: no, that's fair. I mean I, I, and I mean, I, I don't feel like that necessarily disagrees with what I said, which is I think this is a band which is strongest when they're aligning themselves with sort of arty rock music. Um, I, I feel like maybe a lot of guys, because like th- a few of the members of this band are also in a funeral doom band. Hmm. So I I think that what happens is a lot of metal musicians want to do ardier, softer music, but they feel like, you know, maybe they're sacrificing something or not doing something to the fullest extent by not including that sort of extreme music angle. Oh, just because uh, they
1: like metal. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah, I mean they like metal and they that that's kind of their their starting point that they revolve around. But I would say in a case like this, this is a band that probably should just be a really cool weird post-rock band.
1: Yeah, I mean I I, I don't I, I don't really like the post-rock parts on this either, but um yeah, it's um I suppose we should just get into the samples. So uh, yeah,
0: that's that's fair. So you got you got something off. So there's like three main tracks on this album and a yeah. little instrumental interlude, but you've got something off the first one. So
1: yeah, so this is um, unworthy sons and daughters. Um, it's kind of a long sample because a number of things happen here. Uh, the beginning, I would say, this starts off all right, and it connects to the sertraline in the sense that. Uh, this band has a good feel for the kind of guitar bass interaction and the kind of uh, rhythmic subtlety that you would get with Slow Dive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of independent. Uh, the guitar and bass is kind of independent levels. Bass is doing a lot. Uh, multiple guitar things kind of meshing. I don't. As you'll hear, I don't think they really have the harmonic ear that Slowdive or Sarah Turlain do. Um, And a lot of the harmonic bass from this is coming from Scottish music, I think. Uh, Okay. We will will get into that. But um, let's go to, uh, yeah, two and a half minutes in, uh, or sorry, we're doing, these are full album timestamps, aren't they? So never mind, forget that. But just Unworthy Sons and Daughters, we're going to listen for a bit under three minutes.
0: So guide us through what you want to draw attention to.
1: <laughs> okay, well, in terms of like, what? Yeah, so how that develops? What? I guess you could start from the back, which is just what we've got is a big anti-climax there. Finally, we get to the intense black metal part, and it's the weakest of the riffs. Um, relies on this sort of, sort of like kind of half form stock idea that just sinks just sinks um and you know that so that's that's one of that that's maybe the weakest part of that sample uh, it's but we'll fast forward it to the beginning um you could hear that like they were good at the rocky interplay of these different parts right there was the, the, the sort of the melodic and harmonic quality in that shoegazy part was kind of blank, but like, the text the general meshing of the sounds was nice, and they could do more with that then they do a big dramatic moment, which I think they do pretty well you get their like, big minor six descent, you know, dum, dum, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready um, you know, it's a it's pretty cool flip out of that part um, And that one move is just very, like, Mogwai, young team, sort of genesis of, like, the modern post-rock sound. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I mean by Scottish, Mogwai, Scottish band. Um, That sort of, um, the sort of open tonality in these sort of, like, glistening guitars, uh, big sort of sanded-down minor scales, uh, things like that, very, very uh, classic post-rock and and they're sort of, you know, going for that sweeping cinematic vibe, right? And so they do that there and it's kind of cool. And then they start triplet blasting. And that is a very Slavic black metal gesture, but the chords, again, are super like like very much derived from that strain of post-rock. Um and you know, they're really the chords are really telling you the kind of mood you're supposed to have. They're like Hitting you over the head with a certain kind of profundity or signals for profundity, which I don't love about this kind of music. However, the sheer intensity of it sells it, I think. And it's like, okay, it wants me to have this big passionate teenage emotion, and I can, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And next riff backs off the intensity a bit, but it's got good, they've got good trem. Um, and it's still got this kind of vaguely celtic scottishy feel you could hear also as a winter filleth riff um mm-hmm. there's a band from the U- there's a kind of pan british band called chrome Duob who has some riffs like that but in chrome Duob i buy them because they also have some really really brutal riffs um this is so i you know i don't know and then finally we get into what's supposed to be the big black metal moment and it's like uh, the stuff before i think had a little more to it um uh, you know, that, but that's kind of a tour of basically every different style they engage on here. Um, uh, I don't know. What did you make of it?
0: I mean, uh, <clears throat> well, more a question of what do I make of any part in particular. I mean, I think that uh, well, I, I've got a more positive feeling about the final riff than you do, just because that's a kind of riff that I enjoy more yeah, than you yeah. do. Um, <laughs> it's just like uh, the disappointment, I can I can hear it filtering through my headphones, but <clears throat> but no, that's a, that's a kind of riff that I like. I, I think the, the take on Mogwai is important, uh, because I think kind of at this band's best, they're accessing that band more I, than, oh god.
1: No, I think that's probably true, and I think they're probably closer to the source on Mogwai than a lot of post-black bands are.
0: I think a lot of post-black bands are closer to Explosions in the Sky.
1: Exactly. Yeah, whereas it does. I think that's fair to say. Would you say that this band, at their strongest kind of sound, at least at their strongest metal-y parts, sound more like Mogwai?
0: I would say so. um, Because, like, a a lot of post-black bands sound like Explosions in the Sky, which is a terrible thing for a metal band, even though I really like Explosions in the Sky, you know, uh, on their own. You know, but I think their melodies and kind of gestures that they do that just do not gel with any sort of extreme music. Um, I, I, I think also, this is. Also, I ahead.
1: really like Mogwai. I would say that those that that corded part that I'm saying sounds like Mogwai. It's it's watered down in, but like it's kind of more adjacent to explosions in the sky instead of at third hand via that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I would yeah. say that, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree that I think one of the problems for this band, which is kind of the same problem that a lot of black or post-black bands have, is that it is, like you said, like two adjacent, two explosions in the sky, like big, pretty melodies. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously there's big pretty melodies in black metal all over the place but the way Explosions does it is extremely different, you know, and it's it is bespoke to their style of music and I don't think it works in a black metal context. But I will say I I feel like as far as just like black metal riffing or you know, that that approximation of the technique, because I will say right now, this is not a black metal band in any way to me. This sure, is a sure, sure. yeah, this is a, a post rock band that is using black metal technique. Um, I honestly like them more than you do, but I, I I think ultimately that's just a taste thing. I have more time for those kinds of riffs than you do. Um, so I don't know how much I have to add. Like, in that regard, at least.
1: Um, You've got a sample with another good high-intensity moment.
0: Yeah, so uh, I've got one off the second track, To Drown Within Yourself, and uh, I think this shows the methodology of the band at its best when it comes to sort of black metal riffing, which is, let's take sort of Slavic black metal intervals, and we're going to apply a shoegazer emo technique on guitar to play them you know uh sort of like staggered right hand work uh you know a little bit more attack than you would expect from these sorts of melodies uh i i think this is just a good example of the band at their best when it comes to more black metal stuff so okay. let's uh let's give that one a shot So I, I think that what they're doing there is playing with sort of traditional Eastern European black metal intervals. But, you know, you like the opening riff, you've got that, you're holding on that main chord and then you're kind of feathering it out with the arpeggiated ideas on the back end. Uh, it's just a very, uh, a very sort of old emo technique. And I think that, maybe that's the way you write a post-Black riff is you don't try to merge the two ideas completely. You take melody from one side and technique from the other. And uh, I I just think that that comes across a lot stronger to me than a lot of other post-Black bands.
1: Yeah, it's I, I had to try to figure out what you meant by sounding Slavic on that. Um, I feel like you're talking to, like, I think what it does sound like is very recent Slavic black metal, like late Druid, which is already heavily cut with the post, the sort of shoegaze and post black influence. So well, that's fair. Here. Yeah. It's, um.
0: I was but, definitely so, thinking of late Druid. And some of the other, like, newer, more post-informed Slavic black metal bands there. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Then it is totally a riff out of that vein. And in terms of, like, good riff, it's probably the best riff on the record. Um, or it is, uh, you know, if we want to, like, judge metal riff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that sounds definitely related to this newer wave of Slav Black. Yeah, the picking on that, I like the drone string effect. Um, sort of melancholy intervals shifting across that is nice. And I think you're right to I like how you always distinguish people's right and left hand dynamics because um it's a good way of expressing stuff about rhythm uh th- this this band, I think, you know, these guys are really good musicians mm-hmm. um, and not just in the sense of technically accomplished, but like the right hand work throughout is really good. yeah. Like I feel like I would prefer a version of this record that like, you could write a version of this record where you changed all the chords and notes, and it would be like it would be like completely different and really like I would like it a lot more. Like, Hmm. does that like you could keep all the almost all the rhythmic ideas? Does that make sense? Oh, I get like definitely like his his picking is really good. He's got like a there's aggressive picking throughout this, or like on that you know on that kind of like um uh cheery kind of uh Celtic y riff on the last track yeah, re- really forceful picking on something it's sort of
0: unusually kind of it's sort of like unusually gnarly right hand work for as delicate as the melodies are.
1: Yeah, and if you wanna sell yeah, so if you go the route of trying to make post black as kind of high intensity music like Searcherland does or whatever, then you mm-hmm. need to have that. You need to have that like instrumental attack in order to sell it, right? And in order to make it hit. But then there's this alternate path that I think this, so there are moments where this band attains like good post-black as metal, right? And I think that's a good one, a- example of that. But for a lot of the time, they're closer to post-black as rock. Like I, the rest of that sample, I, I couldn't do with the rest of that sample. Uh-huh. Um the back end of it though is interesting because it again shows that winter Filleth is now influencing things
0: yeah I I would agree I, I think that winter Filleth has turned out to be a very important band
1: yeah it's uh now the Slavs are listening to Winter Filleth <laughs> <laughs> uh... so you've got now a rock a more rocky part that I think we both agree might be the I don't know. To me, this seems like the... It might be the objectively strongest part on the record, to me.
0: Yeah, well, we both sample pieces off of this track, the final one, Mm. Eastern European Discontent, which is probably... That's probably the track where the heart of this music really lies. And you've got one a little earlier than me, so uh, what have you got?
1: Okay, this is just me complaining more. Um, But like the first... (laughs) Like the first sample, this has some good some moments that are cool um and uh those more could be done with them so what you're going to hear here is you get a little bit of this more sort of late druid gain there's some solid base on it and then there's a it's a really beautiful part um and we will get to that you'll hear where they go with it and then we'll i'll discuss Did you catch that little clean part?
0: Yeah, I did. Well, it, it, it's funny that you started before that because I think the riff before that that the sample starts with is, to, to my ear, one of the worst on the record.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a classic example of a holding. I mean, the riff a- the riff after it is really bad, too. I mean, they're like... They're classic. Ex- this kind of just like... Duh, 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 duh. You yeah, Kind of this rock cording. This is a thing that late Druid does, but because Senko's so good with harmony, and the band is good, they can get away with it, usually.
0: So, I was about to say, sometimes.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, sometimes. No, no, there are, like, I like the late Druid stuff, but there are moments that are outright bad, self-indulgent, and also have this kind of lachrymose, sinking feeling, of just like, mm-hmm. uh, just like, you know, um, sort of inward turned, uh just just very very on metal emotions, but also emotions that I think are kind of alien to a lot of the best of the rock references that are coming from this. Um yeah. but but yeah, it just I mean, it doesn't I mean if you want to say anything more about those parts
0: I mean like I I don't I don't hate the riff after the acoustic part. And I think the the acoustic figure itself is pretty good, um, obviously. But this whole this whole section you chose is this is holding pattern right here. Yeah, yeah. Like, no question.
1: If if I wanted to be a real jerk, I'd say the acoustic part is like the heaviest part on the record. Like <laughs> um, in terms of packing in. And I kind of mean that seriously. Like I always like try to explain. Like something like slow dive isn't good just because it's delicate and pretty. Slow dive is very powerful music, and it's all yeah. coming through in these uh, relations between notes. Basically, it's it's this very delicate power um, that has. Those are really well selected intervals. Uh, there's that lovely lift on it towards the end, da-da-da, da-da-da. and it's it's as sentimental as everything else on this record. But there's a genuine kind of melodic invention there, and there's uh, more there's more tension and development in it. It's darker, like there's more mm-hmm. of like a complete minor scale idea there. And if if you came out of that and just started trimming the shit out of that, that would be a black metal riff. You could just play the same riff. You could you could trim it single. You could lead it. You could play it as lead arpeggios. You could rhythm guitar chord it. You could do both. Um, you could really... Yeah, you wouldn't even have to come up with a new riff after that. That could just be a pre-drop thing. But instead, it settles back into this sort of... Uh, this kind of just... Like, listless sort of riff that I you know it's supposed the riff after is supposed to be a climax and to me again it comes as like oh here we are again
0: (laughs) (laughs) I gotcha well uh let me go to uh let me go to my final sample which is a little bit later on Eastern European discontent um and I think this is a sample that probably encompasses what we think the band does best which is being kind of a rock band and uh I think that here is a really good execution of an interesting idea for post black, which is instead of directly drawing from the well of emo or shoegaze, what if they just went with sort of arty rock music as a base, for instance, like the Pixies or the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, And I think there's a lot of, of that on this section here towards the end of the album. You know, the the bass is doing a lot of heavy lifting. It's providing a lot of harmonic color to a, a a kind of a static riff pattern and I would say that as far as post-black bands we've covered or talked about, this one is probably a little bit more directly connected with post-rock than a lot of these bands are. You know, uh, we talk about you know post black. You think post rock? Really, it's usually emo or shoegaze. These guys are tied more directly to post rock itself. So uh, let's uh, let's get this Also, mostly
1: shot. they're tied to other post black bands. You
0: know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's that too. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. So originally i thought that you would hate that passage but apparently you actually like it
1: (laughs) yeah well i like the smashing pumpkins um and you know like yeah that's a moment well so a lot of this record has moments of to me anti-climax where they gesture towards something really big and go into a holding pattern riff there you go that's something really big uh it's kind of daring musically um it makes a strength of the fact that they're good musicians who actually listen to the various source materials for this, especially Smashing Pumpkins. And, yeah, I mean, I listened, re-listened to uh, Simon's Dream the other week. I still love it. I mean, that's... well, like, oh, it's a
0: great record.
1: And, you know, and what I like is there's a kind of honesty to it, right? They're no longer trying to be... Not that this band ever was pretending to be, like, true black metal, right? We wouldn't accuse mm-hmm. them of that. Nobody would mistake it for it. However, they're as you've you've said they're like maybe more wedded to those metal norms than they need to be, and it can leave them neither here nor there in kind of uh, just post black blast beats. Whereas when they just let themselves be really good rock musicians here, that's just you know this is taking a you know this is sort of uh, taking sentiment that and turning it into like the big gesture right and it's kind of uh there's a kind of um uh it's not at all holding pattern i think there's more genuine feeling in that riff than in most of the record
0: hi this is taylor from crushing the scepter and you're listening to terminus podcast All right, we are back with a a, a band who is uh, kind of relevant to both of our pasts in a way. We've got a clandestine blaze with the new record "Secrets of Laceration" out on Northern Heritage, of course. Um, so, clandestine blaze is a band who this is this is deep cut terminus shit right here. Uh, this is a band that really got popular like as we were getting into black metal Um, mid 2000s records like Fist of the Northern Destroyer uh, were very big, Chapels of Atrocity I think it was called was another one Um, uh, Miko Aspa you know one of his many projects his most decidedly traditional black metal project um, became very popular and I think at the time, both of us just didn't really get it. Um, and I think uh, I think that's one of the funny stories from you, right? It's like one of the first like cool guy black metal records you ever got was a clandestine blaze record, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've told another side of this story before, but it's a good story. It's like you know, the first time I went to a record store with the express purpose records um i went to uh i went to hospital productions in in new york so uh and you know that was run by uh dominic furnow from the label right Of that name uh back when they were just getting getting started um there was a physical store and it was in a basement and shit uh and and i went in there and I can't, I, you know, I asked, the cool thing is I once asked them to, I, I asked the guy to recommend me something that was like, I didn't quite have an ear for like the high-end guitar sound of a lot of the modern sort of underground black metal, right? You know? And so I, I was like, do you have something with like big meaty discharge riffs? And he called Dominic Fernow, who was at a show or at a festival, and Dominic said, told him to give me Malveillance. So... I talked we, we played that <laughs> er, we played that earlier on terminus it's some of the most aggressive music ever made but the other thing they recommended to me that guy recommended to me was uh clandestine blaze as just some like core powerful underground black metal and I remember uh on the subway back from there I was uh looking through the CD the, the you know the CD notes and uh I open up the clandestine blaze booklet and I'm like
0: uh oh I'm I'm into that <laughs> now but that was that was Fist of the Northern Destroyer wasn't it no
1: it was um, I just checked it was Deliverers of Faith
0: oh okay Um,
1: yeah Um, you know more uh, Fist of the Northern Destroyer that sounds like shit that lyrically I would have just been like this is sick Um, Deliverers of Faith definitely has some uh, had some extremely pervy shit in there
0: Um, oh yeah well that's yeah. uh, that's Miko for you. <laughs> um, but uh, so our relationship with clandestine blade so I mean really when we talk about this, it's our relationship to Miko Aspa. and uh, for me personally, Miko, I mean obviously Miko's done all kinds of different work over the years and but I feel like he is strongest doing like sort of doom metal or noise. His black metal stuff has never really struck a chord with me but uh, w- what do you think about Mika's output um, well
1: yeah when when I got that record you know that was at a time when I sort of overlooked you know I mean you're young and you're trying to develop taste so you overlook a lot of things you shouldn't but uh or you 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 decide that you don't like this or that for dumb reasons but I, I think I feel confident about how I felt about that which was it was just I guess it was my first taste of the Finnish guitar sound, which I think on Clandestine Blaze, like we were saying about early Sargast, a lot of people just connected to the really melodic parts on Transylvanian Hunger. Mm -hmm. So that's probably how I would have heard it. But the sort of epic-sounding, sort of uh, corded parts were just very spare for that style and just not great to my ears. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, granted, I was looking for other things in it at that time, but I don't think they were great. And then there was some, like, slow, heavy stuff that I liked okay, but didn't fit that well. And it seemed all very Dark Throne-influenced. And, you know, I had had it around for a while, and eventually when I was selling shit, I just sold it. Um, I have liked, I like his, you know eventually my buddy convinced me to appreciate DSO and so, you know, I like his vocals on C monumentum and stuff. Um the the strangely the sort of vehemently grumbling vocals over this sort of glorious cathedral esque guitar is pretty cool, right? But um but yeah, that that's about all I know. I know you've often you identify him strongly with power electronics. I would say that probably makes sense. Neither of us have really paid attention to clandestine blaze for a long time, but like, this new one makes me think. Well, okay, maybe maybe in some ways he's centered in the power electronics scene, but damn, he understands something about metal on this new record. Like, you know.
0: Yeah. No, I think um, it's, it it's interesting listening to this and trying to personally analyze it to be like. Was I missing something before? Or? No,
1: no, it's a different band. I think it's got—it's clearly the same band, but it's gotten so much better.
0: Okay, yeah, because you're probably more familiar. I remember listening back when I was a kid to, you know, "Fire Burns in Our Hearts" and uh, "Fist of the Northern Destroyer" and stuff like that, and it just like it—it it struck me as like, I really respect this idea of like incredibly rigorous sort of second wave worship, which is what the early stuff struck me as. But uh, it just didn't do a lot for me on a personal level. And now I'm wondering if, I mean, uh, part of the problem was when Clandestine Blaze first got popular, uh, a lot of black metal sounded like it.
2: Yes, you yeah, know? yeah.
0: And I'm wondering if just... Maybe it's just the time in between. Now that he's playing in a relatively unpopular style of black metal, maybe it means more because it stands out more, you know?
1: As far as I... I mean, I think the style has changed a lot. Um, like, the idea that Dark Throne is the base of this music is probably still true. Mm-hmm. But, like... Um, I mean, first, one thing that's changed is the musicianship. This is one of those bands where there aren't drum machines. He actually does everything himself. The drums on this record, they're not fancy, but they're really fast. Um, mm-hmm. It is like the the other stuff you could hear was sort of deliberately... It was a guy who was... His main thing was being a vocalist and an electronics guy, so it was a guy like, I'm going to do what I can within my limited means, right? which is mm-hmm. respectable. Um, this he has, the means are greater, but also sonically it's really developed in certain directions. So I feel like, um, I think, you know, last time we talked with the Tiradero, we talked about the influence of, you suggested it had Eosoth influence. I said, I don't know, what may, I think I hear more DSO on that one. But in terms of your idea that maybe Eosoth has been the most influential or fertile Orthodox band, this. Yeah. This really Which is, sounds like funny. Aosoth. And it's, and it it's from
0: like, one of the guys in DSO. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the guy from. Well, and of course, right? You know, it's like, yeah, he's in DSO, but his version of it's going to sound like Aosoth. And the other band that's super relevant to it is the other band for big, kind of. On the opposite side of huge sounding, inorganic, glistening toned black metal, you've got Migla.
0: Yeah, which is very important to this record. And let's remind everyone that Miko was the person to put Migla on the map. You know, he featured the first ever uh, Migla recordings that were, you know, distributed publicly were on the uh, Crushing the Holy Trinity split uh, with a few of Miko's projects as well as, you know, a few other bands, but some of the earliest, like, drum machine McGlaw stuff was on that, and McGlaw's been released on Northern Heritage ever since.
1: Yeah, and so it's it's pretty cool, and, you know, I've, I think I was thinking about, I sort of talked about it last time with Odal. I bring it up occasionally, it's like, one thing that made black metal what it was was moving in both directions at once, right? Like, you, you go higher than death metal and you reach towards these like classical melodies or like archaic fault recruits and you go lower than death metal by making it retarded right and you, do that, <laughs> and you do that at the same time and you can produce again and again different kinds of you can reproduce that maneuver in different specific contexts over and over and over again to produce authentically black metal developments and sound and so he reached higher. This is a dirty lo-fi Dark Throne worship project that has reached higher to Aosoth and Migla, and at the same time, he's regressed to the roots of Dark Throne, which uh, I, oh, yeah. I hope you've got a sample for that. Let's go.
0: Oh, there's some there's some deeply, deeply retarded shit on this record, which are some of my favorite parts. Like yes. There's some yes. Because actually, like as abstract as it is a comparison one thing that i would compare a lot of this record to would be the uh the vong demo that we covered mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. year um vong uh for those who aren't familiar uh he is a uh, a vietnamese guy who's friends with some other guys that we covered on the show but he did a uh, very old school like dark throne and burzum worship black metal
2: mm-hmm.
0: but uh with with a certain local Vietnamese touch that mm-hmm. made it really wonderful. And I think if I could go back, I might actually put that on my best of the year for I think you did. I think you did. Well, I, I did it as like an honorable mention. But honestly, mm-hmm. like looking back on it, I've listened to it a few times since. And it's like, that that's is, cool. that's great music. Um, so we're going to go right into that vein. So... <clears throat> we're going to listen to a a track called Wastelands of Revelation. Uh And here's something I'm curious about just because I bet you've listened to clandestine blaze more recently than I have uh, since you are the black metal guy after all. Uh Um, And here's the opening question for this sample, which is, was there this much Celtic frost on previous clandestine blaze records?
1: I can tell you right now just because I think after the sample I'm just going to start spurging about it I can tell you um, really the last time I heard this band in any kind of detail is I'm sure like 2009 um, But then, later
0: than me then <laughs>
1: Yeah, there was Frost like the slow track was kind of Frost influenced but it was Frost as filtered through Dark Throne and it was kind of doomy in a way that is not really what Frost was about um,
0: yeah, no. It this was is not, straight Celtic Frost.
1: This is, oh my god, this record is just, oh, yeah. Bang your head, motherfuckers.
0: All right. In that case, let's listen to Wastelands of Revelation.
1: <laughs> I've just been listening to High on Fire nonstop, and like... <laughs>
0: So, I mean, was there this much? No, culticrous? no,
1: no, 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 no. It was, like, slow, doomy riffs that, you know, uh, 19-year-old TBMG found boring.
0: Um, it, Which I probably would have loved if I listened closer.
1: <laughs> yeah, you would have liked age. it. You would have liked it, all right. Um, but, like, you know, it was, it was fine. It, but, like, if anything, it was just that those riffs sort of stuck out from the rest of the record. Um. And now these, these parts have been much more seamlessly integrated. And no, they didn't sound like Frost in the way this does. I mean... Yeah, I mean, he...
0: So what what strikes you about this? You've probably got some takes on this before I just drool. <laughs> well, I, I mean, not much more than that. I mean, obviously Celtic Frost is... Celtic Frost is an interesting thing to draw influence from just because mm. Celtic Frost is in a lot of ways, the primordial soup from which everything descends in a way. I mm-hmm. mean, it is the, the originating chug band for you. Um, mm. Yep. Uh, they are, uh, you know, they're, I mean, if you go back to Hellhammer, it's like, it, it's kind of black metal, and it's kind of death metal, and it's kind of grind, and it's kind of doom all at the same time. It was before anything was established, and I don't think you can fully recreate that, but god damn, Miko does a good job of recreating that vibe here. You know, that, that opening riff on this sample is pure Celtic Frost, you know? It's not too wedded to any sort of style that's been established since in particular. Um But then... He
1: really understands how to play it, too. I mean, yeah, really swaggers in. into the bands, right? Um The tone is thinner than a lot of bands that imitate it. If anything, one of the weaknesses of, like... I mean, I remember... I don't own 2 Megatherion, but I, years ago I got Morbid Tales on CD, and I remember being bummed by the sound of that in comparison to Hellhammer, right? Hellhammer, which is just so richly oh, disgusting. Yeah. Morbid Tales has this kind of dry sound, but part of the Celtic Frost sound is, to some degree, that dryness and thinness of the tone.
0: Absolutely. Even, yeah.
1: even Hellhammer had thinner tones than a lot of the bands who think you imitate them by sounding really beefy.
0: Um, Yeah, well, I mean, Celtic Frost's heaviness comes from just the intervals. Like, Procreation of the Wicked is, like, one of the heaviest songs ever just because they dig in so hard to those simple riffs.
1: Yeah, well-chosen, heavy riff writing, and just the inflections of it. So the rhythm. He really gets the rhythmic aspects of it and how to just rock it out. And, you know, it's like, this whole record, it's like, um, what I was thinking is, like, Right, Miko Aspa is good at concept and as a guy who I think, right, starts more as a noisemaker and a vocalist than an instrumentalist, right? Mm-hmm. He's concept is his native territory, right? Yeah. I mean, um but he thinks with his gut. Oh yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? He definitely like, does. This is the, the level of like you know, you were talking before about how people Um, On the Unternos, you were talking about how people can sometimes artificially separate black metal from heavy metal or whatever. And sure, I think some of the best black metal that's been made is stuff that takes the punk and or sort of reconstructed folk idea of black metal so far it stops being metal. I think that's true. However, um, there's also been, I think... It's also true that a lot of the best black metal records, even the ones that serve as a model for those very remote styles, also work as metal records, right? Yeah. Or like or like even Hate Forest, which is really <coughs> not metal in a lot of ways, is still really fucking loud and heavy, right? Um, yeah, it's still got that bolt thrower energy. Exactly, exactly. And so like this is, this really, you'll hear more throughout this record, it clearly cuts it as black metal in terms of the atmosphere, the seriousness, whatever. But like just the the sheer grasp of heavy metal kicks and just like being drunk in your garage.
0: Yeah. Like. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That's like honestly this is like so much more fun music in a way than oh, I've heard it's, from Clandestine.
1: Way more fun than old clandestine plays. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah this yeah. is fucking party music in a way.
1: Yeah, and it's also relentlessly dark throughout the whole time, and it mm-hmm. has his, it's both, again, it's both darker and more fun. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: this is... Which is, is the ideal four metal for us,
1: I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, should, should I crank it up? Um, yeah, go ahead. So, look... Uh, I, you know, I'm glad Death Metal Guy got one of those cross samples because those are some of my favorite parts. But there are some parts on this record that are even more just total. Uh, I think you would say catnip for me. Um, <laughs> this one is called "The Human Moth," and uh, like a moth to the flame, if you give me the uh, the massive Joy Division Burzum riff, I'm gonna pick it. <laughs> <laughs> So we're just we're just gonna listen to him play this riff for a long time and you're gonna hear the different things that happens to it.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: Guess what, guys? Ian Curtis is back, and he's coming to your indie show, and he's driving a bulldozer straight through it.
0: (laughs) Well, it's funny. You said, you know, Joy Division plus Mm Burzum, and I was thinking, you know, as you described that, well, doesn't that just basically make it Killing Joke?
1: Um, kind. I mean, yeah, I would say Burzum probably sounds more like Joy Division than Killing Joke, but... Yeah, no, I I get what you mean because Burzum is super distant in some
0: parts, um, but the burliness is very Killing Joke.
1: Yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, the the lead so the opening riff is just the baseline that anchors that the you know the dom 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 dum 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 you know with the big sort of just minor you know big whole step descent big minor six, that's a Joy Division baseline. That's like um, it's I mean it's a little more. Eh, yeah, it, it. I mean, it's a little more Sturm und Drang than people associate with Joy Division, but a lot of Joy Division's mm-hmm. best songs are like that. I mean, a, cli- a cliche reference point for that kind of Baseline would be Shadow Play. Um, mm, to the center okay. of the city where all roads meet, waiting for you. <laughs> um, you know, like, to the depths of the ocean where our hope sang Searching for you. Um,
0: um, um but I mean, um, that's, so that's kind of a vibe I get off this whole record, which is maybe Miko was listening to a lot of like goth or post punk.
1: I think he like, was s-
0: yeah, that's that's incorporated throughout this, and not in the obvious way that maybe, like, a post-black band would, but just, like, no. incorporating those kind of rhythmic and melodic ideas in a very complete way into black metal.
1: Again, yeah, I always say, like, Joy Division is misunderstood. People, you know, the indie scene tries to claim Joy Division, but in a lot of ways they were a punk or goth band or amoebics. A lot of amoebics' sound comes from Joy Division, um... And people said when they heard Joy Division live, Joy Division sounded like a metal band. Um,
0: oh yeah, it's like, kind of like when I saw—I uh, mm-hmm. always talk about when I saw Alcest live, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, Alcest live features this like Godflesh bulldozer bass, mm-hmm. so it makes you <clears throat> completely reinterpret what you're hearing. You know, it's like <clears throat> the uh, the 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 essence of the sonic quality. Uh, you know Really changes things up You know You're not listening to just these delicate melodies anymore You're listening to this Explosive Fucking bass presence That these melodies hover over And it, it changes your whole interpretation of it
1: Yeah, yeah And like Joy Division was very deliberately The studio albums are deliberately studio as instrument Like Martin Hannett was like a fifth member basically And he gave them this remote sound On purpose mm-hmm. And those are brilliant. You can't imitate them, right? But, like, if you listen to the actual riffs and rhythms, they're like Stooges riffs and, like, you know, really, like, or, like, really Germanic-sounding Stooges riffs and shit. Um, but so those kinds of super dark sort of, uh, th- those intervals, that sort of, like, dark heroic interval, very Joy Division, but a lot of the sp- the sp- the guitar that immediately comes over it for the default riff, the kind of, like, disney. Dissonant- barrel, the yeah. Okay. That's like Killing Joke, right? Killing Joke wouldn't write Killing Joke would write a weirder bass line, but that guitar is like them. Um the other big post punk moment is on that made imma- that part we both loved, where there's that like shift upwards that kind of works like a chorus. Yeah. And the lead comes out. That's so cool. Wow. Um
0: Yeah, that's that's totally, like, not a metal thing there. No.
1: So it is... um, That's like Bernard Sumner lead playing in Joy Division. Um, And, you know, just these carefully selected arpeggio intervals. And again, like, Joy Division is the beginning of dark Dorian scale riffing, basically. Yeah. Like, that's it. Um, You know, I mean push comes to shove, I probably still think Joy Division's better than any black metal band, you know? Um, <laughs> and, uh, the, like, so he's tapping directly into that source. He understands even how the timing works, but the other cool thing is at the end when he bends that phrase, yeah, metalheads uh... will hear that as a... F- the yeah, metalheads will hear that as Frost. Joy Division did that all the time. Um... And the funny thing is, if you look back to old interviews with Celtic Frost, their whole, we're cool guys, we're not just metalheads thing, they'll say, we listen to Joy Division and Christian Death.
0: And honestly, this, this kind of like brings us back to something we've talked about on the show before, which is, <clears throat> I mean, if you're saying those, especially the, the lead melody there, is mm-hmm. especially Joy Division or post-punk in general... Um that means that your whole thesis about McGlaw as being like very goth rock and post punk in those lead riffs I 100% agree because that is an exercises in futility lead melody
1: Bro that's exactly the next thing I was going to say it's like our <laughs> are hold- it's like our brains are holding hands but not in a way Yes He's he's like accessing the root material of Migla because yeah, so much of that. Basically, if you produced it a little differently, changed some of the notes around, changed, made it all a little bit less wild. That would all kind of scan as Migla, right?
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. And there was I, the I was end surprised of the song. hearing that. Yeah.
1: Did you catch the end of this song in terms of Migla?
0: Oh no, but I I caught the. Uh... Oh, no, immediately after this sample mm-hmm. is a uh, a giant McGlough part. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Like, I was surprised you didn't extend the sample into that, because it's like, because the, uh, the lead takes prominence in the following section. And I remember when I heard it, I was just like, holy shit. Miko is accessing the guys that he made popular, which is also interesting because he
1: probably also spends time getting drunk with those dudes and talking music, right?
0: Yeah, probably. I mean I mean he he was the guy who picked up McGlaw before they did anything. I think he knew the main guy, you know, very early days, you know, before McGlaw was even fully a thing. Um it was just hearing that was just so strange. It's like And then I wonder, does Miko hear that stuff differently, you know?
1: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you know, yeah, the end of the song is incredible. And in terms of if you've ever wanted to hear a Bigfoot-type riffing, but with dirtier production, there you go. Um, No, I honestly wrote in the notes originally, I was like, can we just sample the whole song? And then I thought, <laughs> no, we gotta we gotta sample other things, but just take it from us guys. The end of the human moth is in just a insane horns up moment. And if you like the uh, with hearts towards none, it's like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so up next is one with a valid life instruction called disinter the remains of the prophets. <laughs> Let, let's disinter them. <clears throat> let's do it. sticking your tongue out bro
0: (laughs) it's it's so fucking heavy metal in a way that i don't associate with clandestine blaze you know
1: dude yeah i mean dude that i I counted like three new types of riffs in that alone
0: we gotta we gotta go back to uh you know recent clandestine and figure out where this is coming from
1: I know a lot of people say this band is cr- like a lot of our friends like this band a lot, and I just figured okay, everyone's got their everyone's got their favorite cult black metal projects, right? You know, yeah. like you've got your Sargeist, I got my I don't know Horna or whatever, right? And we all we all have our our thing, and so but yeah, if it sounds like this shit, I, we have got some catching up to do. Um, Definitely. Like but do you hear like that trill riff at the end? He does the bath right that's oh, like yeah. fine day to die thing, right?
0: Well it's a, it's battery or it's slayer. Yeah, that's that's it, primordial extreme metal.
1: And he takes the um Bathory does this awesome over that riff Bathory does this kind of awesome bent, shreddy noise whammy bar abuse, which is cool, but it does it in the context of like Carrie King in it. Whereas on this, Miko's playing notes in that kind of high trilling quality, and there's a distinct riff happening there that's just super dissonant. Um, and he makes it sound like a bleeding ram's horn, like a shofar or something. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, like before then... Um, you know, they're just similarly awesome kind of noise riffs made with the leads at the beginning of that sample. The yeah. speed metal part is sick. He's not cheating on any of the rhythms. You just have the sick... Al-aru, al-aru, cool minor scale descent. And then he goes... Al-aru, 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 al-aru. <laughs> you know, he hits every single one of those. Um, it's I, I just fucking love it. Yeah.
0: No, I, I, I'm definitely... After listening to this, encourage to check out, uh, you know, the last few Clandestine Blaze records, just so I can inform myself, you know. Yeah. Is this, is this shit that everyone knew for the past five years, or not? Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, the irony is that if I had gotten this when I got that first Clandestine Blaze record, I would have, like, it would have been, like, the best thing ever. Because... <laughs> That year, I was listening to getting to a lot of black metal, but probably if I listened to one thing most, it was probably Death is This Communion by High on Fire. And, mm-hmm. like, in terms of like understanding black metal as having certain kinds of visceral punk metal kicks, which was really what attracted to me about it then, like just the, the, the disgusting riffs in Early Emperor or whatever. Um, yeah. Th- this just has that in space. Th- I would have immediately, like, this is what I was looking for.
0: Oh, I can definitely understand that. So, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to get to my final sample. And this is a weird case where this is unmistakably modern. This Mm -hmm. is Miko picking up on ideas from modern blackmail bands. Definitely McGlaw, as well as other stuff. But, uh, something I keep coming back to on this record is, uh, 2000s era Marduk, uh, Especially when they did kind of like weird slow albums like World Funeral, you know. And everyone's kind of like forgotten about shit like that. But that's what we grew up with was, oh, Marduk, the fast black metal band, is doing a slow album now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all we had. <laughs> that's that's what we had. It was a very special moment. like, ooh, Marduk's being slow now. But I think he's... I think that Miko is incorporating a lot of those ideas on this record where it's just like, yeah, let's just, in a Celtic Frost sort of sense, let's just play these songs but slower. So let's go to uh, the second to last track, Unmourned Crimes, and uh, I want to know what you think about it.
1: you know what i hear is kind of like i I guess a lot of the slower marduk
0: stuff had an
1: orthodox color into it right yeah yeah um well like
0: before orthodox was a thing they were sort of accidentally accessing a lot of those melodic ideas just by playing way slowed down mayhem riffs
1: wasn't it kind of the same time like i mean like when was when was world funeral um, I think it was, like,
0: 03. Uh, let's check. I
1: feel like they were importing, like... Did I think they imported a lot of ideas when they imported Mortuos.
0: Yeah, that was uh, 03 that the uh, okay. Funeral was.
1: Yeah, like, so, let's see. 03 is when Funeral Miss Salvation comes out. Um, uh, what else? What about... Um, that fucking... Um, who's who's the, the flagship? I'm trying to figure out my Orthodox chronology. Uh, You're not Oframod. thinking of
0: Deathspell... Uh, Offermod, Offermod,
1: 1998 is Mysterion. But, uh... Watain. Rabbit yeah, Rabid Death's Curse is 2000. So I think this is Marduk sort of orthodoxing up. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I mean... I think it's also just fair to say they were part of that phenomenon, right? I mean, like, a lot of those bands were listening. The type for what black metal is in those bands is clearly Marduk-influenced, and Mortuous was in Marduk, right? So, yeah. mm. No, but I hear what you mean. I mean, you get a lot, neither of our samples had a ton of that. Like, I guess that has the most chiming, dissonant guitar of our samples, but this record has a lot more of it. And it's used very effectively.
0: Yeah, this this record is like pretty slow in general.
1: The fast parts feel very fast, but usually it's anchored in big grooves. Yeah, the slower mid tempo. Yeah,
0: I mean, like if we were talking about if we were talking about this record in isolation, the I mean, the main influence really would be Celtic Frost, wouldn't it?
3: Da sind sie viel schon gedrungen und der Waldmann nicht bald, ungezahlt ist der Schalt, dass er ward mit dem ihr was gelungen. Ich so nicht nach ihr sieht, hätt ich Fried, des ich biet, ob mir jemand kommt, daran zu trosten. Ich bin verzeiht, meine Leid und sind noch breit, ich nehm noch, wer mich davon erluste kann mich schicken, will Es ist mein Klag, alle Tag Und gedacht als ein Zag Liebes Blick, lass mich bei Blickesbilder Rosen Not, mir ein Boot Der mir droht auf den Tod Das ist Hellebold von Bernreute Fried und der Schmied Werden Glied an dein Piet Das sind nie gemacht. an die Leute Erwin, den mag niemand überhausen. Amelot, Berling, Gold, hat vergold, dass man Sold über mich gegeben hat zu grausen. Ich kam da alle Fahr, ungefahr zu ihr Schar.
2: Ich sah, was die Gartelingen täten.
3: Gär und ihr Meer gingen schwer, hin und her, mit ihr Knappelklingen sahen sie wäten. So wollt' ich eines wetten, dass ihr droht Und Irksnot wurde blut wie Freud Niemand wohnt mit Heereskraft im Wetter an. Hoch er sprang an ihrem Dank auf ein Bank, die was krank, das soll sie im Preisen für ihr Glipp Dass ihr hier Beder Leipzig musste schuttern, mir was an euch empfand, dass hier Gwang sich empfand und ihr kluges Schaffel musst entroten. Ich klag euch her, diese mehr seht ihr her, was es wie soll sie zu diesem Ding? Er legt sie kaum an das Saum, an einem Zaum in einem Baum und um den Schaden das sollt ihr er bejahren. Wollt ihr um das schönen Kinden Balgen? hin und her als ein Schwer, als auch er hätte er besser mehr. Er hing an einem Galgen. Ich was mir lache quert das ein Schwert die Fer ein halbes Knie seiner Zelgen. Mann, ja viel Mann, kaum von da Ach, ihr hätt immer mehr kein Bein gestoßen Wurde ich noch zu reinen gerochen Ich hätt' alle Freude teil Und wär' geil auf mein Seil Ihm hätt' alle viere abgebrochen